on Colin. This is episode 35. Biden cancels 10K student debt. Biden has announced that he will cancel 10K of student loan debt for those who earn less than 125K. Is this enough for borrowers or is this merely crumbs and a ploy to bring out votes in November? And I see we already have callers lined up. So I'm going to go ahead and take the first caller. And that is Roman. You are on the mic. Hello. Can you hear me? Hello, I can. Welcome. Hi. Uh, I just uh, wanted to, before we got started, I wanted to run something by you that I thought maybe would get both sides on board instead of, you know, trying to give away 10K or 20K and means test it and this person gets it, that doesn't. Instead, we just went back to 19, anybody that took a loan out after 1980, put 0% interest on it. And then going forward, all student loans are at half a percent or 1% interest. Now, if you took out the loan, you still have to pay it. But if you took out $50,000 in 1980 and you've paid $50,000 already and you still have $50,000 on top of it, then you're wiped out. That makes sense at all? Hmm. So how would that work out in the sense that, um, so in that, with that example, then that means that people who, some people who may have already paid it, they would benefit too, basically. Right. And if you took out a $40,000 loan and you ended up paying $60,000 and you got a $20,000 refund coming. So that way people that aren't paying for it that didn't take out a loan, but the people that did take out a loan, then they're the only people that are getting, that are profiting off them are the banks with that interest. So if the people paid off their original loan and then nothing more for the banks, then people could say, well, screw the banks. They're not taking money from me. Well, to that point, like why not just cancel all of it though? Well, I agree with you, but I'm trying to play devil's advocate. And there are people that didn't go to college that are like, fuck that. Yeah. Um, but, but now those people that didn't take out a loan aren't going to feel as bad if I'm not, if I'm saying my tax dollars are going to spend, you know, money for these people that took out the loans. But if you tell these people, well, they're still paying back their loans, they're just not paying back the interest that these predatory lenders have been sucking out of them for decades. Well, here's my thing on this. I think the way that this needs to be explained to people is the fact that the reason why a lot of people are in this situation to begin with is because of Joe Biden, because he's the one that put in that rule that you can't declare a bankruptcy on student loans. Well, so I'm sorry, well like... Because I feel like he created this mess because I know a number of people that said like they wish they could have just filed for bankruptcy for their student loans. And they can't because Joe Biden is the one that put that in place. Well, and that's why he would never do the retroactive zero percent because all the credit card companies and banks are in Delaware. They're the ones that put Biden there in the first place. Yeah, it just it. See, this is something I, I really do want people to think about. For the people who are have like astronomical amounts of student loan debt, and this includes like, I'm talking about people I know that went to med school, 
that went to law school so that they could get going into professions where they would get a high enough salary where they shouldn't have really had as much difficulty paying off these loans. They're still struggling too. Like I know people that went to school that went to med school, they all have like over $400,000 in student loan debt. And even as a doctor, that's still a lot of money that you have to pay back. And not all doctors are making a lot of money depending on uh, the position that you have and depending on where you work. So there is something like really broken with this system. And that's why I'm saying like, I was reading an article from Debt Collective the other day on RBN about a group of 50 year old uh, student borrowers. And they were just talking about how they've already paid like $30,000, $40,000 on their student loans and they still owe $25,000 and they didn't even borrow out, borrow that much. The so it was just people 50s. were, yeah, people in their 50s. So they're the ones that are talking about doing like a student loan strike because they're like, I'm going to take this to my grave. Like, this is ridiculous. And that's, you know, those people that took that loan out and, you know, 1982 and they took mm-hmm. out a $20,000 loan and it's up to $100,000 and they've paid back 50,000 their original is 20 they paid 50 they should get back you know that the extra 30 that they paid out and and just give them a refund for the interest they have i they have to pay what they signed for and so you know that's a four hundred thousand dollar medical degree if it's from harvard and he wanted to do that he signed up for that's on him now if he got a hundred thousand dollars in student loans and it's up to four hundred thousand dollars he should only be responsible for that one hundred thousand dollars and if he's paid more than that hundred thousand dollars then give him a refund if he hasn't paid that hundred thousand dollars then he's still on the hook but it's at zero percent interest but I think my thing is, is like, what about the people who, um, and I know some people did go to expensive schools and That's I know this, is, yeah, I know, but I, I know that's the argument that a lot of people have made is that, um, well, they signed up for it. Right. And I, I hear that, but you could say the same thing about credit card debt. You could say the same thing about, you know, mortgage debt and they can write that off. They could file for bankruptcy with though with that type of debt. You just can't do it with student loans. That's the problem. Well, the problem is you can't repossess a uh, college education. Yeah, but what about the people who took out all these student loans and didn't even graduate from college? Well, they still you know? signed the loan, and it, it, you know, I, well, I'll tell you what: if it, if they were at zero percent interest then they could afford to go back to school and finish it. A lot of these people that didn't finish it wasn't because they were dumb or just dropped out. It's because they couldn't afford to keep going. Right. So, well, some people, I know like some of my students that weren't able to finish college, it was because of either family issues, uh, financial issues, or they got sick. I had a student one year that got really sick. And so they had to drop out of school, but Student loan companies don't want to hear that. They still want them to pay it back. And I'm like, how do you expect them to pay back this money? And they're not even, they're not going to have a job. They're not able to work. There, well, and, you know, there's got to be social safety nets for those, you know, for those individual cases, you know, if they're on disability. But the, 
I think the just of the problem is, is you've got people that didn't go to college that don't want to pay for people's college loans. You have the people that took out the college loans that are victims of these 8% interest rates, which is insane. And then you've got the rich people that didn't have to take out the loans in the first place. So they have not, no skin in the game and they don't want to give money to poor people. But I think that's part of the problem with American uh, culture, which is this individual mindset. I mean, you go oh, to some of these other countries, they have free college. Like they, they wouldn't argue about this. They would not have an issue with this at all. It's this problem that we have in this country where everybody has to look out for their self and only their self. And they're not supposed to lift up other people in the community. And I think that type of mindset, we need to do away with that. Well, that's the perfection of capitalism. It's a zero-sum game. If I give you something, I got to take it out of my own pocket. That's just the mindset. That's what made America great. I'm saying that sarcastically. <laughs> yeah, it's just I, I, I just see so many people. I, I have to tell you, you know, I I don't work in higher ed anymore since January, but there were a number of times I wanted to tell my students, like, look, don't don't do this. <laughs> Like, but I couldn't because of my job, but I, I knew that they were struggling like financially. And I really wanted to tell them multiple times, don't take out this money. Don't take out these student loans. And these kids were graduating from a master's program. And I'm seeing companies here in Boston, big name companies, offer them $55,000 a year. These kids graduating from Boston University, they have hundreds and thousands of dollars student loans. They can't pay that, pay that money back. Well, not me. Well, I mean, it's it's just some, something has to give. And like, I like, for example, myself, I went to undergrad. I didn't go to a private school. I didn't go to like a Harvard or a Yale for undergrad. I went to state school. I still had a lot of student loan debt. And the interest has been has been terrible. And so it's just like what happens to the people who are in college and they end up in a situation where they have to drop out, which a lot of times this happens to a lot of the, the black students in schools. They end up in the situation of the family situation. They have to drop out, but the student loan companies say, you still got to pay the money back, but I didn't finish college and I didn't get the degree to get the job to pay you that money back. These are unforeseen circumstances that just happen. And I think it's really sad that again, you can't turn around and say, I'm going to file, I'm going to file for bankruptcy because I have hundreds of thousand dollars student loan debt and I can't pay this money back. And that is all Joe Biden's fault. So I feel like it was really on him to say, you know what? I have some responsibility in this. We're just going to cancel all of it. And that actually would help out all of us in the economy, not just the people who took out the loans. Well, and you know, I, I wasn't thinking so much as making Joe Biden happy as trying to get as much public support as possible. And I think if you could get the people that don't have college loans on board with, you know, you have to keep your loan, but it's at 0%, then it's more of a fuck you to the banks. And the, and the people that do have college loans, most of them would probably end up getting more than $10,000 if what they got back is what they've paid in interest. But you do understand, though, is that some a lot of these kids are never going to be able to pay off this money. Like, they're never going to be able to pay this money back. And I'm telling you, I've seen this for years. And so what happens 
when someone passes away and the loan's not paid off? Who covers the money then? Well, I think that it is, once you die, I think that is the ultimate forgiveness. I don't think they pass on student loans to your children. Ah, so they can afford to do it. Do you see my point? Right. Oh, yeah. Well, it, they'll, they'll never have a wealth tax. There'll never be an inheritance tax. That's not how Matt, how wealth is. I'm, it's, it's like this is really this is really hurting our economy in the sense that these kids can't buy homes. These kids can't get married. They're not even buying cars. Like my students are like, I'm not buying a car. That's another expense that I can't afford. I had students living in apartments with no furniture. They said they're going to be minimalist because they can't afford. This is not how people should be living in this country. Look, this isn't, this has been, this is a slow, slow decline. We're just seeing the end of the late stage capitalism. This has been going on since, well, I am, you still there? Yeah. Oh, I thought I lost it. Sorry. I have, I'm 52 years old. And the minimum wage has been $7.50 my entire working life. Yeah, I know. It's that's that's another thing too. Like this is ridiculous. I mean, my minimum wage doesn't go up, but everything else goes up. I that's don't right. see how without you know, the the longer they wait, the more they're going to get their debt jubilee. They're, they're going to get the end of Fight Club. You know, that's why they clip the end of Fight Club in China so they don't see the buildings coming down because Chinese are probably a little less likely to sit on the couch than Americans are. Well, do but do they even have student loan debt? You see what I'm saying? Like, this, this doesn't make any sense to me. There was once upon a time in this country where the University of California public school system was free. Well, Reagan ended that. They were going to, the last time they were going to do free college, Reagan's the one that crapped all over that. He didn't want anybody protesting Vietnam like, like they did in Vietnam. And you can't have poor people in college because those are going to be the ones that are protesting. Hmm. Well, Roman, thank you so much. I see we got a I line know, of callers sorry. here. I took you 17 oh, no. minutes. I'm so sad. That's supposed to be a two-minute <laughs> question. I'm so sorry. All righty. Thank Thanks so thank much. Thank you, Sabrina. Thanks. Okay, Tim, you're the next caller. What's up, Nick? Hey, what's up, Savvy? Hey, uh, always good to talk to you, my sister. One thing one thing, I'm going to just add, and I'll allow, I'll allow the conversation to continue. Um, I was having a conversation with Aaron Good. Uh, today he did a lot of good writing and reporting on foreign policy, and the whole student debt debate and crisis is actually why you should look at U.S. foreign policy and how they treat other countries and how they, and that's a good way to predict how they're going to treat ourselves because U.S. foreign policy always come home. The same way that U.S. has used debt trap diplomacy in order to bully other countries, they are now used against the U.S. working class. So when when you're young. And when you are starting your career, what is the best way to control people, to prevent them from protesting, to keep them a beating worker ass? The first thing you do is put them in debt. Even though that doesn't help the economy, even though you're taking your most reliable spending block 
out of the market, so they can't afford to buy extra stuff, which actually help the economy. They don't care. It's just, it's more about control and the same strategy they use to uh, to wage economic war that you're actually using against us too. Which why we, we must like this. What this Biden plan is not enough. Like we got to like we should be thinking Biden. We should be talking about striking, uh, having student loan strikes, and being hostile. So um, that's all I have, Savvy. Thanks for having me. I, I love the show. Continue. Word. All right, Tim. Hey, Savvy. Hey, Nick. Big fan of y'all's. Um, okay. Well, to speak to what um, Roman was saying before, it's, I think people need to get out of this mindset of like, oh, it's not fair that, you know, I paid my debt or whatever and, I, and the other person wasn't able to. Like, get out of that mindset. It, it, yes, have the anger, like direct, but direct the ire toward the right place. Like, not, not not toward the poor person. Direct it toward the system that fucked the person over. Like, it's just, it baffles me, like, how these people, like, say this and, and you know, complain about, like, and, they, and they think that they were just more responsible than, than people who weren't able to pay their loan. It's like, no, there are other shit that happens in people's lives that, that where people are forced to make tough decisions. And, you know, sometimes a student loan is is going to, you know, not make the cut when it comes down to, you know, the needs of a person. And it's just like, you just need to get out of this mindset in this country where it's just, it's just this individualism. And it's all about, you know, stepping on the person under you rather than, you know, trying to build each other up and, and really target who the fuck is fucking us over. It's just, it baffles me. But... Um, <laughs> to answer the question for tonight, 10K is certainly not enough. It's, I wouldn't even call it a crumb. Um, it's, I think this is a, a tactic that the Dems are trying to use to save themselves in the midterms or in 2024. And it's, it's not going to work because I think everybody has, is, is waking up to the bullshit. You know, it's it's like it's like when you have those that run as Republicans so they can prove to the to that certain location that that they're the they're the, the conservative to go with and they end up losing massively because who the fuck wants a fake when I have the real deal? Like, why would I take you just pretending to be that when that person is that, you know, and it's, it's like and, and I think this, this tactic that the so-called progressives in the Democrat Party are taking to try to get into office and using that same kind of mentality. I'm going to run like a centrist so I can get in and then I'm going to, and it's like, no, that doesn't work. Like, why would, again, why would the people who really want a centrist, if you, if they think they want that, why would they pick you if they have the real thing in front of them? But you're just, you just came in and changed your whole platform and now pretending to be that. Like, that just screams fake. Also, the idea that you're going to run... Like the idea that you're gonna run centrist and govern to the left, that doesn't even make sense. Like, so if someone's willing to sell out Palestinians, like Nina Turner refusing to support BDS, John mm-hmm. Fetterman saying that he would uh, deepen the ties with Israel, if they're saying that for their for their their run to become uh, a government official, what do you guys think they're gonna perform in terms of maintaining that seat? Like in terms right. of real. So they need right. to they need to raise funds for the reelection 
So if they hedge to the right in order to win, why you guys think they're gonna double down to like, oop, what are you think gonna do? Like, oop, trick you, now I'm actually anti-establishment. It's not gonna work. They gotta they need to win re-election too. That's why they uh stay uh selling people out. But sorry, Sabi, I'm just going to go ahead. No, it's all a good point. Uh, Lucy's here. Now, I, I asked um, Lucy to, to speak because Lucy actually did a student uh, debt boycott summit or like a uh, long stream. Um, and a bunch of us were part of it. And I know Lucy has been trying for a long time to get some momentum, something kind of going to get people to strike against this. And I really feel like if people would have signed on and we would have gotten like masses of people out there, like really putting pressure on Biden, maybe we could have gotten more than this 10K. I don't know. Lucy, uh, you can go ahead and speak. I, I think you just need to unmute your mic. And I also want to say like, while, while she's trying to figure that out too, I want to add that I noticed some people are saying that this just benefits like wealthy people. Wealthy people don't have student loans, you guys. I, I don't know where that even came from. That oh, was... can you hear me? Go ahead, Luke. Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, okay. Um, I actually have like a funny story about this 10K thing. Um, I had like, I had a loan that I actually, um, it was like, it was like an additional loan that I took out because um, I went to grad school. So I'm one of those people that just has like an enormous amount of student debt. Um, but I um, I had a loan that was 10K and it was outside of the student debt system because basically I was like in my last year and I needed additional money like for rent, it, you know, not for school, like just to live, you know. Um, and I ended up taking an additional loan and that loan was not under the federal loan system. Um, and because it was not under the federal loan system, I tried to pay it off and I actually did pay it off, but they, they changed the servicer and then they called me and my balance was, was zero at one point And it got, it became 10,000 again because they changed servicers and didn't have the record that I had paid it. <laughs> um, so, um, like I was never able, like I just. To, to win this legal battle. So essentially all this does is wipe out what I paid, <laughs> um, which is just ridiculous. But like, it just goes to show how messed up the, like the entire system, people have no idea how corrupt it is with, with it changing servicers and everything. But I do want to say that um, uh, like the interest rates on these loans are outrageous. That's basically the biggest thing that the interest rates are outrageous, that it compounds over time. They're not loans that people can pay off in this lifetime. A lot of, you know, the people with the worst debt are, are people that are need to retire, you know, and like should be focusing on raising their grandchildren. Um, so um, I have tried as part of um, Camp Dada, um, which is a little event that we're going to put together um, around Labor Day weekend. We are going to have a debt burning action, um, which is just going to be like on social media. And I encourage people to participate. But we did like make the decision to not have it just be student debt because there's just like a lot of arguing, like, 
you know, for the people that don't have student debt, it creates resentment and, and people are like, you know, but, but what about me? I don't have student debt. I have this other kind of debt. How about you pay off my mortgage? It's like, yes, we also think that the price of housing should go down and medical debt should also go down. So we decided to have it be kind of like a debt burning action um, for student, medical and carceral debt. Um, three types of debt that really like affect a lot of people um, so that we're not just focused on this idea of student debt because I do think that there are like you know I would say neoliberal portions of the Democratic Party that they know that student debt is something that affects like poor people more but it also is starting to affect like a small portion of the upper middle class that has more influence on the government so I do think people like there, there is a correct assessment <laughs> of that, you know, that like, you know, you'll hear Nina Turner, for example, talk about student debt more than homelessness, or, you know, you'll hear like, you know, um, Ayanna Presley, you know, talk about student debt more than, more than the reparations. So like all of those things are true. I do think student debt is kind of becoming this like, issue that some people see as like you know these politicians are are kind of catering to the upper middle class but ultimately poor people are more burdened by student debt because wealthy people don't have student debt so um we're gonna do like a, a kind of video social media that's all we can think of doing right now really because it's really hard to get people to do something in person um so I, I don't know. <laughs> We're doing yeah. what we can. Um, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's all good points, uh, Lucy. It's just, you know, it's, it's really frustrating, like I said before, that people can't, they can't file this for bankruptcy. It's the one debt that you can't. And it just really puts people in a hole that a lot of people just are not able to dig themselves out of. Like, this is just ridiculous. And I feel like, is is just a way to put like this hold over all of us. Go ahead, Tim. Yeah, I I just wanted to speak to something that Lucy said about like people even within Count Data like saying, Well, I don't have student loan debt and I don't wanna you know, I don't care about that issue or whatever. Like that that kind of mentality baffles me. Like what the like it's just and it's like, do you, do you go to a fucking breast cancer rally and go, well, I don't have breast cancer. What the fuck are we having a rally for? Like, it's just, it's just stupid and childish. Yeah. I no, think, that's um, a good point. I think it is, but I also think um, it is true that, like, certain politicians are really kind of centering this issue, you know, when, and, and they'll say, you know, like, like, even though they are virtue signaling, like, you'll see um, someone like, um, you know, uh, what's this guy? <laughs> I'm like blanking on politicians' names. But there's like a few progressive politicians that they'll talk about student debt, but they won't talk about imperialism or, you know, like. Right, tie it to really what it's enticed to, yeah. Uh, um, the invasion of Somalia, or, you know, and like that's true. Like I, like, I understand that and I understand that sentiment. But I also, like, like what I want people to think about um, is, for example, like we're trying to raise $8,000. For Camp Dada, and we're not just talking about student debt. We're also writing letters for prisoners, you know, and we're talking mm -hmm. about the climate 
and like general right. strike and all of these other things. And personally, I know this because I have a lot of student debt. If I didn't have the student debt, like I would already be middle class. Like I would be able to float Camp Dada by myself, but I can't. I can't. Right. I don't. So like the the issue is that it is important for the middle class to get bigger because it's the middle class really that that because the rich don't donate as big a percentage of their income um, to any social causes. So it's really the middle class that gives money to church, gives money to the homeless, gives money to direct mm-hmm. action, you know, because the poor don't can't afford it and the rich don't want to do right. it. <laughs> so yeah, that reminds me, that, that reminds me of something I heard on Jimmy Dore show where he said that uh, money is a lot like shit. You pile it up in one place, it stinks. And you spread it around, it helps things grow. So I think we just need to understand, I and mean, people need to understand that concept. Like when all this money is tied up to go to, to the one-tenth of one percent and make them richer than rich, like, you know, what, what is that? What happens? The rest of everything else starts to die. But when you start to spread that money around and that money goes, it's called the velocity of, of, of money, like of, of, of the dollar. Like when it goes into into the economy, it starts, it gets shit going. Like, you know, Jeff Bezos doesn't need to buy 10,000 pairs of pants, but there are millions of customers that need to buy a pair of pants. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, this is going to sound like a crazy comparison too, but I feel like what is happening right now that people, you know, it's very similar to the subprime mortgage crisis in the, in the sense that like millions of people have gotten caught up in this huge pyramid scheme. You know, like there are many people in this country that have mortgaged out their houses to pay for their college kids education, you know? So essentially, Mm -hmm. um, these banks now have a stake in your family home that probably took generations of wealth to like, you know, work to invest in. Um, so the, you know, they're taking over people's family homes, people's family possessions, businesses, et cetera. Um, this is a huge pyramid scheme. And um, the stats are crazy. Like, there's like 1.5 trillion in student debt, and the annual budget of the United States government is four trillion dollars. So that's like almost half of the budget of the United States budget is student debt. So mm-hmm. like, compare that. Like, there's this huge pyramid scheme <laughs> in the country of Albania. I don't know if anybody knows anything about Albania, but they had this huge pyramid scheme in the 90s where everybody, like 40% of of the, like half the country had invested in this enormous pyramid scheme. And there was a point where the pyramid scheme was 50% of the national budget. Um, And this is like, Uh, this is just chaos it's like total economic instability because everybody was invested in this pyramid scheme and then when um people didn't get their money back it just like caused so much economic chaos that it actually led to like civil disorder and people like sacking uh you know like weapons (laughs) in 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 the defense department like this is not a joke this is a like this is a huge economic scandal and it's like the second uh, mortgage bubble so you you're gonna be affected whether you have student debt or not like i didn't have a mortgage loan during like i didn't Mm -hmm. have a home loan during the subprime mortgage crisis but I was still affected because, you know, I couldn't find a job. I was like graduating right. with a final job. 
So yep. I think it's like super naive to think, to be like, I don't have student debt, whatever, personal responsibility. Like this is going to affect you regardless. It's like a huge bubble mm-hmm. and it's going to pop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just want to add too, in reference to housing, like when I talk about uh, college graduates not being able to buy homes, that is going to have an effect on the economy. The housing market is about to burst. I've been keeping up with this. I've been reading yeah. about it like at least once a week. And I'm telling you, like, this is it's getting ridiculous. Homes, the prices of homes are continuing to increase and people can't buy them. So yeah. this is not good for the economy. And that's why I'm saying, like, he should have just canceled all of it. But thanks so much, Tim. Thanks so much. I want to make sure I go to the next caller, too. I just wanted to mention one thing about you. You just talking about that housing thing. There was an article. I forgot where it was. I saw it, but they were talking about them wanting to reopen those option arm loans that basically caused the crash in the last the last time in the 08. So they're talking about redoing those type of loans now so that they can keep selling homes. So isn't that uh, crazy? It, I mean, hey, greed is gonna. They know, they know they're gonna come out on top, and that's the whole thing. So, <laughs> oh my God. <gosh>. Anyways, <laughs> thank you so much for having me, Savvy. And thank you, Lucy, for uh, all the work y'all do for with that cam data. I support y'all. Thanks, Tim. Okay, Scotty, you're the next uh, caller. Hey, Savvy. Hey. Okay, so uh, I was thinking about this. Uh, uh, I I believe that this will probably backfire on them because <clears throat> most people, once they, like, the details come out, because, like, they announced the website and, you, like you said, it's, uh, like, a lot of times it's, like, been crashing or it's been slow to operate and they had to give up the rest of the details, which means people are going to have to basically look at their loans and, like, really assess the fact that this isn't even going to cover interest. Like this isn't even. I don't. I, this is such an insult that I wouldn't even call it a breadcrumb. That I think that people feel so offended that he would even uh, offer this. And this will probably like there'll probably be a backlash to this because this isn't even like at least with the the four the two thousand dollars like like. It was only six hundred dollars that they took off, to where they didn't feel so insulted. Like you got close to two thousand dollars. I mean, uh, but you know that's that's why they were able to get away with it. But when you got people that are saying like they have like almost a hundred thousand dollars of debt or over a hundred thousand dollars of debt. And ten thousand dollars isn't even going to cover interest. Like, yeah, this will probably be an issue. And also, um, I saw the segment uh, you did on uh, Emma. Like, I sent you the video of um, Emma when she was with TYT Politics uh, on the night that AOC won. Did you get the video? Did you Did you DM me or you sent an email? I sent uh, no. I sent I, uh, sent it to you on Twitter because like I uh, wasn't able to uh, DM you. Like I don't think you're uh, following me on Twitter. I'm six one four boom bap on Twitter. But uh, I said like if you watch that video, like she was all like talking to her like they were best friends or like 
And then you're like, you're watching that video, uh, like that you showed tonight. It's like these people, like they treat the progressive movement like a social circle. Like they, they like it's weird. Like they, it sounds like they run in the same circles. They probably went to the same schools together. They probably date each other half the time. Like it's just yeah. really weird, and you can see why. <laughs> like when people like Door and you guys go at them like they it's almost like they take it personal like they like they know these people and i want to ask lucy uh i saw one of your videos like i think it was like last year uh, you you said something along the lines like uh obama uh like talked with uh, uh mark zuckerberg about i don't know if it was debt collective or debt jubilee that he squashed, like, could you elaborate on that story? Yeah, so this is, like, something that I basically, like, I heard from um, organizers of this Facebook group um, called Forgive Student Debt. So basically what happened was um, there's, like, a Facebook group you can get up, it's called Forgive Student Debt, Um, and... um, Uh, At one point during Occupy, actually, because Occupy um, was led by people that were like it was kind of a united thing. Actually, there were people that were protesting student loans and the housing bubble and also undocumented people. Like it was actually like a lot of different people like protesting against the banks. Right. (laughs) Um, And uh they grew a group called Forgive Student Loans um, on Facebook that grew to like a hundred thousand something people. And they had like a petition going um, that was like a million people or something. They, they had like, they had really started to accumulate momentum and um, Facebook shut down their, their group. Um, so they, they were temporarily. And then when they came back on, um, they were not able to like regain that kind of momentum. So um, it turns out that Mark Zuckerberg, um, and this is like actually public knowledge, um, uh, there's even posts today that he fulfills government requests. Um, so um, You're talking about the Joe Rogan interview? Yeah, that Joe Rogan interview. So Facebook um, does do censorship on behalf of the government. And um, Mark Zuckerberg coincidentally lived very Obama um, in Hawaii at the time. So um, the rumor was that Obama had influenced him, but it's not like Obama, Obama um, actually, um, his entire cabinet um, was like picked off, picked by Citibank. Um, so, uh, you know, there's like letters about this, about how um, Citibank wrote a letter to him and they were talking, you know, like basically telling him to, who to nominate in, the ca- in, in his cabinet and he complied. So Obama definitely, um, you know, like whatever you think about him, um, he was going along with, you know, just like every other member of our government, like the demands of corporations, Citibank, Citibank specifically. Um, And um, apparently he also, um, the rumor is that he got Mark Zuckerberg to shut down that page. Um, So uh, Obama, you know, like I don't have, proof of this this is what the organizers of that group said you know (laughs) it's not like I have a recording you know (laughs) um but you know like there's definitely a relationship as proven 
um, with the letter, like the public letter um, that Citibank wrote to Obama. This is like public record. It's also public record that the government um, asks, you know, Facebook to censor, like, you know, they're allowed to shut down groups. Um, So, um, and, um, you know, Citibank also participated in, you know, like nominating all of these uh, government officials. Um, So, and Obama was very much a part of all of that. That's right. Very, Very much corporate, very much in bed with Wall Street. And you know what? I look back on it. Obama could have done something about student loan debt as well. I mean, this didn't start under Joe Biden. Like Obama could have done something about this as well. Like it just, it, this has been going on for a long time. Like this is, this is too much for people. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. And like o- Obama, like, you know, when they bailed out the banks in, in 2000, like people still don't fundamentally understand this. Like a lot of people, you know, don't understand that bailed out the banks in 2008 that included, like, uh, you know, the economy crashed so hard that the bank, the lenders basically requested um, that the government guarantee student loans. Um, that means that they weren't um, taking any personal risk um, in terms of lending and that they were basically allowed to lend as much as they want, knowing that the government would cover that if they failed. So all student loans since 2008 have been government backed that means the government is like ultimately responsible for it um and um right. the, the banks were bailed out already so that's right like they always protect the corporate interests and this is what i was telling people earlier is that i sat there in a classroom where two representatives from sally may told the entire classroom because someone asked a question about um are you guys afraid that you might go out of business because people are more hesitant to take out student loans. And they went on this rant about how they have people on the Hill that sit on the Hill to make sure that businesses like them don't go away. And all of us just kind of gave each other a side eye. Like she told that to a group of students in a classroom. And that's how I know that they're all in bed with each other. And that's why nothing is really getting done for the people. That's why they didn't cancel all the student loan debt. I mean, I really think it's only a matter of time. I think these companies are going to go bankrupt. Yeah, well, they're not going to go bankrupt because they're backed by the government. So this is this is like, you know, it's 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 stupid because like, you know, I guess like the left normally thinks of it as like, you know, corporations being bad. And then the right thinks of the government being bad. But in reality, both of them are bad and they're all in bed with each other. (laughs) And this is just like a top down nightmare. And they even said, um, J.P. Morgan um, recently came out and they said that um, the student loan fiasco, it would not affect anything. They even said that, that it would not affect um, J.P. Morgan. So, like, (laughs) um, if it doesn't affect, uh, you know, the lenders, because the lenders ultimately, even if you have, like, a conservative ideology, they're responsible for lending. So they should take the risk of lending. They're not because the risk is borne by the government right now. Um, and the government is us. Like we have to pay for whatever <laughs> um, outrageous demand that they have. So, you know, it, it sucks on all sides. I, I don't know. <laughs> Agreed. I've lost eloquence here, but. Agreed. And and well said, Scotty. Scotty, do you have anything else? Uh, no. Uh, the the I was gonna say just the end of the video is called Alexandria. Uh, 
Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez wins, like, got sent it to you on Twitter. And, like, watch the video, but watch it leading up to the four-minute and uh, 56-second mark, and you'll see what I'm talking about, uh, about, like, this, like, progressive uh, media, well, that side of progressive media basically, like, calling up to these politicians when they're supposed to actually be objective and, like, hold them accountable. But have a good night, everyone. That's a good point. Thanks so much, Scotty. Yeah, they are like they are friends with these individuals. I don't know if everybody realizes that, but some of them are friends with them. Uh, let's go ahead and bring in uh, Dorian. You're on the mic. Hi, Hi Sabrina. Can Hello. Hi, Lucy. Oh, thank you so much. Um, thank you for letting me share space with you all tonight uh, to elaborate on some of these ideas. Actually, I was going to ask you a question. So find that when we're looking at problems, particularly this particular problem, is that we're looking at it from a perspective of ourselves, right? And if I remember correctly, Sally, you're in Germany. Why is it that the parents in Germany don't burden their children with this type of debt? Or why is it the, children, the parents in Japan don't burden their children with this type of debt? How is it? Why is it that we do though? Could you elaborate maybe on how German parents felt about student loan debt? Well, I can't speak for Japan, but in Germany, college is free. But how do so, parents feel about it? Feel about the student loan debt? As an idea that to burden their child, who's trying to go into the future to start a career with debt, whereas they feel like that should be a part of um, the event with society, I guess, according they, to them. They typically think it's ridiculous because I will tell you this, like all of the colleges that I've worked at have a, uh, a pretty high international student population, like Boston University, MIT, like Harvard, they all have a lot of international students. But I will also tell you this, a lot of times, when they're coming to go to these schools, they're going to some of these PhD programs and the PhD programs give the students a stipend so they don't have to pay tuition, right? So in that case, it makes sense. A lot of the students that come here that are international students for undergrad and for the master's programs, they actually cannot get financial aid. You have to be a U.S. citizen to get financial aid, so they don't even qualify for it. But what they do have to have is that their parents have to show proof, at least at the schools that I've worked at, they have to show proof that they can afford to pay tuition for all four years. So most of the time, the international students that you see come here and go to these schools like Harvard and BU and uh, MIT, they're coming from families that have a lot of money. So I to them, you. it's it's really not a burden. Yeah, it's... But what about the working class, right? That's what I want to hear from. We need to hear from a working class from another industrialized nation so that the United States were respected. And I think Germany might be one of those countries. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have to look at the demographics of this country, right? It is predominantly Caucasian. Let's say that's what it is as far as like that power and all these things. I just want to call a spade a spade for argument's sake. Is that okay? 
Yeah, it's well. There's that, but there's but also I the fact. I also say that I, I and I hear that just for the argument's sake, I want to call it that. But we also have to realize that. Oh, I totally lost my point on that one. My apologies, Savvy. Oh no worries. I was I was just gonna say. Um, you also have to take into consideration that countries like Germany also have a lot of military bases there as well. So that's another thing I want people to understand as an American, like your kids can go to school there. They don't have to go to school in the United States. They can go to school in Germany and get that free tuition as well. In fact, more people are starting to do that. I was watching something about that recently. In fact, my friend's uh, daughter, she's telling her to do that. She said, just just go abroad so you don't end up with all the student loan debt. So yeah, students can take advantage of that too. Now, obviously you still have to have money to get there and get back and all that jazz. But the fact that they even allow like American students to come over there and to also have the opportunity, I think that speaks volumes. I just think that when I go back to the high school systems in this country, that is not encouraged. They're not encouraged to go study abroad. They're encouraged to find a school right here in the United States, at least with talking to the guidance counselors. That's what they'll tell you. And I think some of these students need to start looking at other options because college tuition is increasing and it's getting more and more expensive. UMass Amherst, which is a public university, they're now charging like $30,000 a year. What happened here? Sabrina, I went to Hofstra University. Mm -hmm. Today, I feel disgusted by how much I pay in tuition for, like, to go to that school. I really do. Because, and I think about it, let's say for my thing was biology. Does the, does the body change because of the school I went to? No, it doesn't. Right? I mean, it's it may be taught different variations of how it's taught, but for the most part... <laughs> There has to be a standard. But the, what the part I was really wanting to get at is that it was the, I, you need to hear the working class from other countries speak to the working class here. Because I, because I don't, I think the problem is we lack the imagination to see a system like that work because we don't see it. You know, it's you like, how, how, do you, how do you empathize with something that you don't see? Well, when we had the anti-imperialist um, summit over at RBN, that's who we spoke to. We did speak to working class uh, individuals abroad, and they oh, were no, explaining. Oh no, not you, Sabrina. Huh? <laughs> not oh. you, Sabrina. I'm talking about. I'm talking about in mass. If I were Germany right now, right? For instance, right now, what with everything that's going on, and you know where. And how urgent it is. Do you know what I would be doing as a German citizen? I would be trying to contact somebody that I know that is an American to tell them how serious this is. Yeah. Like, you need to say something. You need to do something. That's the seriousness we need to have. And it's not there. No, it's not. Like right now, they're actually running out of toilet paper in Germany. I was reading this earlier this morning uh, because of the sanctions. So I think that... How much are people willing to take? Right. Isn't it well, amazing? They don't, well, they don't take it in France because in France, the people had no problem rising up. They're setting banks on fire in France. Like the people like in France, they don't care. Hey, that's like, what it takes. 
I think we should look at the yellow vests in France and how they fought back and how they rose up. But the thing is, like Americans, I think I still feel like Americans are still too comfortable. They're still too comfortable enough to actually like fight back and like try to like change the system. But what I'm afraid of is it's not that uh, the comfort it's if you back somebody up into a corner they become extremely dangerous but the problem is if you inform this person to like now channel that anger in the correct way that's where you really start running into dangerous parallels right now it's calm who knows how much longer right because this is just like I, you know, I think we're in the thick of it now. But I keep telling people like, this is not sustainable. Regardless, it doesn't matter who we have in office as as the president of the United States. I think it feels like for my job, I and I I struggled. I'm going to say that that whole 2020, COVID, I was like, so what do I do with my life? Because at this point, I don't even know. They're, they're not even doing anything about climate change they're not doing anything so i'm like do i really have a future do i really want to bring children into that and if i were to bring a child into this how can i afford them any type of protection yeah it's really tough dorian i I totally hear you um i don't know i'm I'm encouraging like younger people to please if you're going to go to college try to go to school abroad so you don't end up with the debt like it's it's really not worth it um i would do things differently if i could you know well thank you sabrina i really appreciate your time and your space thanks so much dorian have a good one okay thomas you are next hi savvy um so yeah no i mean i guess uh, as the major question this is this is peanuts i mean this is uh uh, heck, I'll even rephrase it. It's bullshit. Um, the, uh, you know, right now I'm saying that, you know, it, there's, there's, I think, uh, if you look at the demographics right down in the, in the debt, you know, um, there's a lot of people that have, let's say a low amount of debt, like under like 20 K or something like that. But then there's also another large segment that has debt that, you know, just goes from the skips, the 20 K just goes up to like ridiculous numbers, like, 70 and 80 K, which I'm in that category. Um, yep. Same <laughs> and here. So I, I have like, I have like 80 K, but both my undergrad and my, and my, the loans I took for my masters. And then that doesn't even include the loans that my parents are never going to be able to pay that they had to take out as well too. Um, that's like another 50 K or something like that. But so, yeah, so this thing, all it does is it pays off my interest. Whoop D. So <laughs> like this is the, all this is, is a bailout for uh for for the loan servicers who haven't been making any money off of off of payments coming in uh since uh since the pandemic started basically in a nutshell and uh it's uh and and they're disguising it and you know all this is going to do it's going to it's going to you know take the fervor that people had and it's just going to turn it off for a bit um you know uh the fervor people have to actually get real change done and it's going to make, uh, make everybody go back to brunch and uh, and all the shit libs are going to be like, oh, yay, great. Biden fulfilled his campaign promise. Yay. And and in reality, he hasn't. Um, and, 
you know, all this is, as one person said, it's like, uh, I, I was reading today, uh, I saw a really good tweet that basically was like, yeah, no, this is like a, uh, um, uh, you know, they, they, all they need to do is just trim off the interest every few years and keep, keep forgiving the interest, not the principal, the interest. Yeah. And, uh, and just rinse and repeat for infinite, infinite, uh, electoral gains, <laughs> basically. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is, this is, uh, it's pretty insidious actually, if you ask me uh, how this all is planned and has gone down. And, uh, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I, and, and this, again, this is the, we're not talking about the principal because again, loans are, loans are paid by, you know, if for interest first, not principal first, interest first. Um, and, uh, you know, so basically, I mean, all this money that they put forward for this, all this does since the servicers, um, you know, are, are servicing these loans in bulk. It's not like one servicer to one loan. It's like one servicer to like a million loans. Um, all this is doing is just paying down the, the pain. Well, it's not even that. They're, they're just flat out just saying, OK, we're not we're not forgiving the uh, we're, we're forgiving the profit that the, uh, the servicers are getting off of this. It's not moving the principal one inch. And so that's why when people, you know, Chase was saying, you know, hey, this isn't going to affect anything economically. Yeah. And, uh, and why the right wing is, you know, and the elites are wrong about this is because, yeah, it's not actually touching the principal, which is the money that's was out that, you know, the, the government loaned. It's all yep. it's doing is just moving the needle slightly on the profits that the loan servicers and the government was going to make off the backs of our loans. So, you know, this is, this is, uh, you know, uh, you know, next level smoke and mirrors, if you ask me. So. Yeah. And, and another thing too, that I thought was, was not cool was the fact that he told students at HBCUs that he was going to forgive their debt. And so all of a sudden, like the black kids were just forgotten about. And I, I hope mm -hmm. more people call this out. I'm like, don't you remember you went to Atlanta? And you made that promises to all those kids? Like, how do you just, how do you just like forget about that? Like $10,000. Yeah, like $10,000, especially for African-American students. That's nothing. It, especially mm -hmm. if you're looking at HBCUs, those are private universities. They're expensive. I mean, like, this is, this, this shouldn't even be a thing. This shouldn't even be a problem. Like I'm sitting here and I'm thinking to myself, like, for people who fault us for going to college, I hope they do understand that in order to get certain jobs in this country, you have to have a college degree. That's yep. how we got in this mess to begin with. And then. Well we, well, we added that as a qualification on a lot of food because the labor market is the, the amount of labor is much larger than the amount of jobs. You know, they basically upped all the qualifications on everything to the point where the qualifications would you would expect would have higher pay, but they don't. So, so, so the pay is lower than what the qualifications expect the, the you know, what the qual qualifications would assume the pay would be, for example. So there's a disparity there um, because they've right. artificially increased the qualifications. Like, oh, you're supposed to have, you know, <laughs> a, 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 a degree in computer science. Uh, uh, and this is just a basic data entry job on using Word. Well, like, you know, if the person is expected to actually pay off, if that person was going to be able to pay off that degree in computer science, then they need a higher, a higher income to offset that student loan. Like yep. it, it, it's illogical, the system. Um, 
Also, so, too, another thing I think people need to realize, like, some of us had to go to grad school in order to move up in our yeah. field. Like, for people who are not aware, as an academic advisor, I had to have a master's degree. So I had to go back to school. Like, I think this is the thing people don't don't really get. They're like, well, why did you guys go back to grad school and take on more debt? Because in order to move up in some of those fields, you have to have a higher level degree, which I'll be honest with you. I think that's BS too, Thomas. Yeah. Well, we've 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 lost some of the idea of, uh, you know, moving. We, well, mobility has shut down inside of inside of uh, jobs. So like there's no upward mobility anymore inside inside jobs. The expectation is, is that you try to jump to another job at a higher rate basically. And so there is no internal upward mobility in businesses anymore for, for workers. Um, no, it's not. And people aren't automatically promoted after a certain number of years either. This is why a lot of my students would job hop. They'd go to a, co a company for one year and then they go to another one. That's how they get the increases. And the employers would get mad and they're like, oh, these kids only stay in here for like one year. I'm like, because you're not paying them enough and you're not promoting them. So in order yeah. for them to get a significant increase, they have to go to another company. And, and sometimes to get into the next job up at the other company, you have to take out, you have to do another round of education. Mm -hmm. And that's just how it is. Um, and so this is the system we've created is, is uh, uh, I, I feel like it, it can't continue for much longer before the whole, the whole, the whole system comes to a breaking point. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you, uh, I know somebody else brought up uh, the whole situation with the. Oh no, no, you, you actually mentioned the how the, uh, the, the, the. In order for foreign students to, uh, you know, come to the U.S. schools, the parents have to like, you know, put forward, uh, uh, you know, they have to certify that they have enough money to pay for all four years of schooling, but then mm -hmm. all the foreign kids, because the parents don't want to pay for living expenses, um, have them all apply to the, uh, the. Uh, uh, on-campus jobs. So the F1 yes. students end up taking up all of the on-campus work-study jobs that really should have been going to low-income domestic students. Um, and, yes, that, and so, that is true. Because they can't, for people who don't understand, uh, international can't students work can't work off campus. That's right. Yeah, because of their F1 status. Um, right. I, by the way, I used to be a student employee, uh, but in my case, I was a TA the department when I was taking, I was doing my master's. Um, but yeah, for most of the regular jobs for undergrads though, yeah, they're, they're taken up by all the, all the F1 students. And so we're already talking about families that have enough money to, you know, guarantee their kids to go to school for four years. And then on top of it, because they don't want to put out the extra money for the living expenses for those four years, they end up then having the F1 kids take up all of the, all of the, what should have been financial aid situations to help students pay for college domestically and it, it's just taken up by the f1 kids and it's crazy yeah work study is difficult to get now like it's yeah. just it's like it's you have students like yeah it's very competitive and it's just i don't know i i just think something really needs to change and i think that these universities and i i can go into a whole spiel about this but i've seen them pay like deans and the presidents of these universities making hundreds and thousands of dollars a year the president mm -hmm. of boston university makes over 2 million dollars a year he makes more than the university it is astronomical uh that's where a lot of this money is going 
is going to these high level administrators, these deans, these presidents. And so, and then you have mm-hmm. the staffers oh, who are and, making and just to the sports enough. coach. And to the football And coach. the sports coach. That's right. And the sports <laughs> school. Uh, at, at, my, at my local university, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the football coach is paid more than the, uh, the president of the university. Yeah, that happens too. Like I went to University of South Carolina. And so like we actually had gotten a new football coach, um, Sparrier, when I was there. And yeah, like they those guys, like if you go to a sports school, those football coaches are paid mm-hmm. a lot. Like you'd be surprised. So it's just, it's a business. It's a money-making machine. And mm-hmm. I just wish we could get back to the point where, like I said, the University of California system at one point was free and then then all of that changed and that was state school you know well and then on top of it you know the schools have become so obsessed with um you know uh the amount of students they can retain from year to year to year you know too like my my program was part of you know was kind of set on that because they would you know uh funding, budgetary funding inside the school uh, for that department was tied to how many students they were able to retain from year to year to year. Um, And so they basically made it, they monetarily incentivized the departments to make sure that students couldn't, you know, um, flunk out. (laughs) And so, and so we had kids going to the next level or going on to the next course with C minuses and Ds. And Mm -hmm. And it, it was it, it results in a in a vicious spiral because then these kids keep coasting along until they hit a really hard course in the in the upper levels, um, and then uh, and then they and then that's when they finally do drop out. And and the terrible part about that is, you know, then they've accrued now three years of debt. In the that's process. right. And it's that's vicious. Right. It's really vicious. Or they've gone three years in on a given on a given field, and then they want to change to something else, and then they now have to go another four years in another, in another degree. And it's, it's, so it's really, it's, it's quite terrible. And that's taken, you know, just in my own experience, um, you know, our program was, you know, one of the first in the nation to be duly accredited by two professional organizations. It's in the same league as like um, a little bit of background, computer science and engineering where the program that I was in was one of the, few dual you know first because there used to be two accrediting organizations for the for the degree program back you know in the day they've merged now but they used to be separate separate accreditations and they still actually get them separately accredited with but in with the one organization now but this is you know this program was originally when it was first set up was in the same league of being duly accredited as like MIT's computer science program and and there's only like ten in the nation that are that are duly accredited like this. But this program is nearly on the on the cusp of failing, um, collapsing because the quality the the, the students um, are running through with C degrees that the teachers don't. They're they're so you know stressed out from having to handle students that did not learn the pre- requisite material the year before properly, and and it just it, it and then. You know, we have this case where these kids are not able because they're getting all the way through the program in some instances, and they're not really capable of doing the job on exiting. Um, they're not actually, you know, you're not getting any any money back through, 
you know, alumni donations or other things like that because they're not going on and getting placed into high-paying jobs either. We used to place kids in, uh, you know, Microsoft and IBM, and they won't take our kids anymore because the quality has gone down. Um, and so it's it, it's just it's crazy. Like it's the the whole profit motive inside of education is not only you know making things miserable for the kids in terms of the loans, but it's also you know it, it's killing the programs too, the quality of the education, in my opinion. So yeah, know. no, you have a good point. It's true. Um, but another thing I want to bring up too, which I think has definitely changed over the years. Why aren't colleges giving out more scholarships? What happened yeah. to what happened to all these funds for academic scholarships? I don't mean athletic scholarships. They have plenty for that. But what happened to colleges giving out academic scholarships? Do they like that's not even the same anymore. So people now you have more people have to take out student loans when they sh- some mm-hmm. of these students should be getting academic scholarships. Yeah. Yeah, they should. And, uh, and it's, uh, you know, I think part of it has to do with the funding, the funding continues, the funding pool continues to shrink. Um, you know, some of the, a lot of those scholarships were paid with, uh, alumni donations too, in, at a lot of schools. So if we're putting out a lot of quantity at low quality, um, and I hate to talk about it like that, but, and, 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 you know, those, you know, the majority of kids that we're putting out aren't getting into good paying jobs and they're strapped with, with that, they don't have the extra disposable income to put back towards those, those, uh, you know, the alumni foundations, and those then yep. they can't, you know, that money can't be filtrated back into, um, you know, student academic loan. I mean, uh, grants and uh, and scholarships and things. That's where the like my local university. That's where a, you know a good number of scholarships come from, is from the alumni donation money, and mm. so. You know, it's it's a vicious cycle that that folds back in on itself and it it, it worsens. It's uh, you know, it cyclically gets worse year after year after year. Mm. Well, Thomas, thank you so much for calling in. I'm going to go to the next caller. Yes. Thank you. OK, uh, Luis, you are on the mic. You just have to unmute. I think it's, uh, let me see where it's at on here. I don't even know where the mute button is. Oh, it's down in the uh, bottom left corner. You just have to unmute. Hello. Hello, Ms. Sabrina. Hello, Ms. Lucy. I just wanted to say, I think you're muted. Oh, go ahead. I just wanted to say, Savvy, um, I love your YouTube live stream. I'm glad I came across it. I think you're fantastic. I don't mean to butter you up, but uh, I really like your your program. And also, I think it's great that you come back. You come from an education background. It makes the topic we're talking about that much more rich and important. So I just have a few things to say. Yeah, no problem. I have a few things to say. So since we're talking about the $10,000, my sort of point of view is if your student loans are around the $10,000 number, of course, you should submit your application to get that canceled. Right. If you owe 10, 15,000, I don't see why you wouldn't. Um, like the previous caller, I owe more than that. Uh, I don't owe 70 or 80. I owe in the low 200s, 230, 240,000, somewhere around there. And 
I could go into a long, long story about why that's the case. And in some ways, I'd like to tell that long story. I'm not sure how much time I have, but I just wanted to say a few things before I even try to attempt even a summary of that. Um, the first thing I want to say is that there is something specific about student loan debt that's not like other kinds of debt. Um, I was listening to what Ms. Lucy had to say about building coalitions and um, strategizing around debt as a problem. And I, I'm very sympathetic to that. And, and, and like what you were saying, Sabi, I think there's a lot of um, economic problems in the country right now. And I think it's going to come to a head in the next year. I agree with you. By the way, if you look at what's going on in China, you can see all of the problems that China's right now having with debt. Um, their economy is severely under pressure. Unlike the United States where inflation is a problem, and there's a problem with inflation in China too, uh, China, the Chinese government is trying to drive down interest rates and encouraging all kinds of stimulus emergency spending to help people. Um, so I, I think what's going on in China right now might be a cautionary tale of what the United States might be going through in six months to a year. So I just wanted to make that connection there. But with, with regard to the United States and the student loan debt problem, you know, I sort of think about it like um, Isaiah Berlin wrote his essay on foxes and hedgehogs. You know, uh, hedgehogs, they kind of think about different discrete problems and foxes focus on the, you know, the one big picture thing. I think it's important to focus on the connection between student loan debt and bankruptcy. I think that's a really important connection to make because it's very peculiar to student loan debt that you can't get it resolved in bankruptcy court. And if you think about what bankruptcy court it's about, it's about an individual's story. It's about my story. I'm asking the court to grant me, maybe my family, my spouse, bankruptcy relief because of these facts that pertain to me. And I hear a lot of, you know, big picture explanations about, you know, how, how debt impacts everybody in different kinds of ways. I'm very sensitive to how the, the debt issue has emerged among students of color and how they care that debt for the rest of their lives, much more than white students. I used to be a professor myself, so I'm very sensitive to that issue. But with regard to how people live their lives, you know, I'm 54 years old. And with debt in my low 200s, I mean, I don't have much runway here left on the tarmac. <laughs> you know? Like, what am I supposed to do? I already rent an apartment. I already rely on my spouse for most everything. You know, I cannot find a job. Before the pandemic, my credit score was in the 500s for decades because I could not pay back my student loan debts. During the pandemic, because of the stimulus money and so forth and all the... Uh, temporary suspension of the pay payment requirements, my credit scores have gone up to the high 600s. You know, so it's this weird, perverse thing now where I have to face going back into the 500s after January 1st because I'm unable to make the payments. I made $6,000 in 2021, and I'm a lawyer. <laughs> I'm a lawyer, and I can't find a job. In part, that's because my credit scores were so low for so long. Who's going to hire a lawyer whose credit scores are in the 500s? Nobody. Might if they're in the 600s. But uh, so the point I'm making is, you know, when you look at someone's set of facts, you have to ask, well, why did they go to college in the first place? What privileges and advantages did they have? But what happened along the way? 
why did they get the kind of job they had after college? And then why did they go to grad school? You were talking about in some fields, you have to do that. Well, in my case, a lot of my early education was pursued gratuitously. I came from a solidly upper middle class Republican family that went through a bankruptcy in the late 80s, early 90s. And that hit me too. And I had to work a wage job making $15 an hour at an investment bank as a night staffer. And I wasn't happy with that. And I'm gay, right? So if I'm going to imagine having a life for myself with somebody I was imagining to share my life with at that time, then I have to imagine being able to support us. And this is back in the early 90s where you couldn't get married and couldn't imagine having kids as a family. So, you know, imagining going to a place like graduate school, like NYU, and getting a PhD and a law degree at the same time, which I did in seven years, uh, that was a huge life accomplishment for me. Uh, and I was very happy to do that. By the way, when I entered my PhD program in U.S. history at NYU, I had to take out $30,000 of student loans to pay for tuition and for my room and board from NYU. After my first year of graduate school, they terminated that policy and they required all graduate students to have tuition for free and stipends. But I didn't have the advantage of that in my first year. So when I was in the history program, I had to take $30,000 for my PhD program. And as everyone knows, you know, PhDs, if they get a job, they aren't paid that much. So I could go on and on about this. I could talk about how I graduated in 2000, took a job at a university, Clemson University. Uh, I could talk about how I had to leave after a year because I had an inappropriate relationship with a male graduate student who was 25. Uh, it ruined my life, it ruined my relationship. And that all happened a few weeks before 9-11. And given my political commitments as they evolved and were formed through my education, I couldn't stay here in the United States and watch it invade Afghanistan. I was totally with Barbara Lee, the only member of Congress who objected to the U.S. invasion of Afghanistan. So I moved to France. I lived in France for a year and a half. My degrees didn't help me find a job. I had to teach English for about eight euros an hour part time and live on that. Uh, so that, you know, come back. Suddenly the country's going to war with Iraq. I'm not going to be able to get a job. Who am I going to call up my, my former faculty friends and advisors from NYU and so forth and say, I'm ready to work now again. They don't want to talk to me. I'm a traitor. I'm a traitor to the United States, to the war on terror and all these issues. And that's what trapped me in a cycle of often low paying work, a lot of moving around uh, and not being able to touch the debt. I've never paid a dollar on my student loan debt. I've never made enough money to. The most amount of money I've ever made since I left my teaching job at Clemson was $40,000 for one year. That was it. Every other year, if you look at my IRS uh, resume of all those, you know, summaries of all my annual reported incomes and so forth, it's usually around ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000 a year. It's been like that for almost 20 years. Then I got married in 2013 because the law changed. And if it wasn't for my husband, who I'm still with, by the way, he's 67 years old now, uh, I wouldn't, I'd be homeless. I'd be totally homeless. And if it wasn't for a friend who voluntarily, without me asking, offered me to take the bar exam by paying for the studying fees and paying for the bar exam fees, I wouldn't have even been a lawyer. And then when I was able to be a lawyer, the economy crashed in 2008 and 2009. 
and trying to find a job in that economy, I didn't have the skills to help people who are going through their mortgage crisis, their foreclosure crisis. I couldn't help. I didn't have the, you know, the training or anything. I tried, but I had to shut my practice. Otherwise, I was going to be very tempted to take people's money who were desperate, and I really couldn't help them. So that led up to a situation for the last 10 years. I have a no disciplinary record with the California State Bar, and I've been doing a lot of volunteering. But I haven't been making more than 10. Last year, I made $6,000 as a lawyer. I do a lot of volunteering, and I help people. I help people like me who are tenants. We're facing eviction crises and things like that. And I've also tried to apply for bankruptcy. You know, I, I filed for a bankruptcy action in Los Angeles. The judge wouldn't even hear my fee waiver petition because I identified as a lawyer. The assumption is a lawyer makes a lot of money. Why are you in bankruptcy? Because <laughs> I'm a person. I'm an individual. So I now am, you know, it's 2022. I, this $10,000 thing, I think it's great for the people who that can really help. I, I support that. But I, I'm not going to apply. I'm not going to apply for it, not just because of the principle of the matter, which is part of it, but also because what, what would happen if you submit this application and you, may, you have $230,000, $240,000 of debt? You submit the application for $10,000 to the federal government. And what do you have to sign on the application? You sign your name saying that you recognize you're still in debt with the other portion that they don't forgive. Well, if I take the money and I can't pay back that other portion... Don't you think I would be suspicious, held, you know, uh, open to investigations for perjury or for fraud? We saw what happened during the PPP uh, crisis with people being investigated for fraud. Not really. We saw what happened who were receiving un a, a pandemic unemployment assistance. They were investigated for fraud. I had to go through a fraud background check with the state of California after I got my unemployment assistance from the state of California. I'm not interested in doing that. I would rather stand with people who say, you know what? No. At the very least, change the bankruptcy laws. If you right. own a home and you can't afford it, you can keep your home in bankruptcy court. You can yep. have your other debts restructured and forgiven, but you get to keep that place you live in. I, wh wh why can't we get rid of student loans? To the first guy who, who was speaking about that, how it's not fair and so forth. This is the first thing I say to people. If you go into federal bankruptcy court, you keep your home. So why can't I get rid of these student loan debts or something? So I appreciate everyone listening to me. I just want to say, you know, there's a lot of abstraction about this and people have very strong feelings and, and very strong moral uh, opinions and judgments. And, you know, we all work hard for what we think we earn and deserve. I understand that. And some people are not advantaged like other people. I had a lot of privilege and advantage. Okay. But guys, I'm 54. The debt is not going anywhere. I don't make any money. I help a lot of people for free. And my husband helps me stay alive. So why can't I go into court and say, Your Honor, enough? Why do I have to wait until I die for it to disappear? It makes no sense. And I think that's unjust. So I want to that's appreciate being heard. Thank you. Thanks so much, Lewis. Uh, that is a good point here. And that is something, too, that um, I just never understood out of all of the debt. Why was it student loan debt that Joe Biden made that law that you could not file for bankruptcy? Why was it that one? I do you see what opinion. I mean? Because you can do it for our debt. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have an opinion because it's unsecured. Now, credit card debt is also unsecured, right? But in theory, there's property you might own related to the purchases you made with this credit card debt that might be recoverable in some sort of bankruptcy action in theory. But it has to do with history. 
remember, in the United States, college was a luxury before the Second World War. It was a privilege. You know, even Booker T. Washington taught you you had to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and put your nose to the books if you want to go to college. Okay? So the point is, after the Second World War, there was the GI Bill. The federal government got in the business of putting people into college. Well, the GI Bill went through a period of helping people stay in college and grew the university system in the United States. And yes, student loans were made available to people. But by the end of the 1960s, the laws were changed. And the, the, the decision was made to finance the growth of the U.S. education system around student loan indebtedness. And one of the ways that there was a very radical change historically in the system is when they tied the registration for the draft to getting a student loan, not being drafted, but being registered for the draft for men. If you were going to go to college, you had to register for the draft until 2019 to even put your name on an application. That's because during the Vietnam War, a lot of people who went through college and so forth, draft dodgers, and I'm not saying it was a large percentage of people, and I don't mean to re, you know, reproduce the prejudice of the term, but people who were avoiding the draft went to Canada, and maybe they took their college's education with them and decided not to pay off their student loans. They didn't want to register for the draft to protest the war. Well, that's one of the reasons why there was this connection made between requiring men to register for the draft and as a condition line for student loans. Well, once that connection is made, once you make a moral commitment to the United States of registering for the draft and your patriotism is in question and so forth, let's just turn on the spigots. Let's just dole out all the money we can. And then Joe Biden realized in the 90s, I think it was, well, if we're really expand this, to give it to even more people who haven't had access to college and universities before, let's make sure they don't game the system by taking bankruptcy away from them. Now we really have them. You really want what the GIs had 40, 50 years ago? You really want what the people who you know, dodged the draft during the Vietnam War 30, 40 years ago? Well, we're going to make you not be able to go to bankruptcy court. It's a moral thing. It's the same thing that Joe Biden did with all his crime bill legislation. It's about the, it's about the, the legacy of the Ronald Reagan era of personal responsibility we're going to punish you for choosing to get educated. And if you deviate one inch from your obligation to give to your country, we're going to punish you by leaving you in state of indebtedness and making you regret it for the rest of your life. And by the way, this isn't just a national attitude. In California, if you are a medical professional, including doctors, not just doctors, nurses, and you know, physicians, assistants, and so on, you will lose your license by law if you default on your student loan debts. They want, they want to squeeze that service out of you, get everything out of you, and they're going to scare the hell out of you because it's unsecured debt. And the only claim they can make on you is a moral one. And they're going to drive you to work based on that. That's my opinion. Wow. Well, Lewis, thank you so much for calling in. I'm going to go to uh, Eric, who's the next caller. Yes, thank you. Okay, Eric, you're the next caller. Just have to unmute. Hey, Savvy, how you doing? You hear me? Hey, how are you? Good, good. Hey, I, you know, obviously it's definitely the, the 10K is not going to be enough. Uh, as many of your callers have stated, they basically laid it out pretty well. It's barely going to cover... Uh, 
just enough to get restarted. And by the time they get back into uh, into paying it, paying back their loans, uh, it'll start right back where they were. It's not going to do anything for the majority of them. Uh, and this was mean tested. And part of the reason that this works, although I, I, I'm pretty sure that it's not going to work, but it, it creates enough of a conflict in people's heads, the majority of the population, because of the mainstream media narrative, they see this as a win uh, because the mainstream media is going to paint it that way. And in people's minds, and you got to remember, Savvy, if you look at across all platforms, Facebook, Instagram, uh, and what have you, YouTube, this is what the mainstream media is going to paint, that this is a beneficial thing that the Democrats are doing. And with just that enough of the narrative, because uh, the left media, independent media is so tiny, if, if, if it was bigger, we could counter uh, the mainstream media to the point where we could, uh, we could shame the Democrats. Like you were saying, you know, what, what should we have done uh, to push them to actually make a complete, uh, you know, to have Biden essentially forgive everything, right? But it's because we just don't have enough of that weight behind us to push them. And this goes back to, you know, to the Reagan years, like what this gentleman was saying. From Reagan on, uh, the tax breaks have been basically for the corporations. If you look at the last four years, uh, Google, Nike, uh, these huge corporations, they're not paying any money. Uh, and nobody talks about that. It's only given a little bit of lip service. But, you know, if you were to look at that objectively, how is it that all the money by the corporations is not getting paid, right? And we, the American people, continue to pay into the system. And yet when we need something, it does not come back to us. And we are not out in the streets screaming about it. And part of the reason is because the mainstream media narrative makes it so the people, uh, the majority of the people, are not awakened to the reality. They can feel it but they're not going to do anything about it. And this goes back to uh, uh, pre-Reagan. You know, I think uh, uh, Nick had a historian on, on his show either, I think it was today, and he was talking about how uh, the status quo, uh, basically the, the, the government, they strategically started to figure this out that, you know, right before they killed, uh, they killed Martin Luther King in, in the late 60s in RFK, that they needed to do something. They needed to strategically go after changing the narrative uh, so that people would not get out in the streets because there was a change in those years when people were protesting. And a lot of the protesting people were not poor people. Uh, the, the speaker or the guest in, in Nick's show was sort of saying this. These were, main, uh, these were like middle-class folks that were out in the street protesting and they were okay. We've lost that. We have you know, we don't have the people out there in the streets banging the drums to shame uh, what you alluded to, why in, in France uh, the government can't do that. Because as soon as they, they cross their people, people are out in the streets demanding, you know, what they are deserved to get. We don't do that. We don't do that at all. And our ecosystem is so tiny that we cannot push the needle and bend the public's um, you know, mindset, if you will, to their benefit. And so, you know, if you talk to the average American, the average person, they're going to speak back to you with the mainstream media's topics. Uh, literally, they'll, they'll spit out, well, you know, Biden did this and this is at least we're getting this. That's what they'll say. Now, if you speak to someone like in your audience, we can see past that. But that's why we're here. We're stuck. It's because they have strategically gotten us to this point. 
And, and then the other reason that we're able to sustain, you know, what we do is because of the, uh, you know, the military industrial complex, how the U.S. has the petrodollar and essentially is able to continue their agenda and sort of bend everybody's will because of, of, of the NIC. I, I know this seems kind of crazy what I'm saying, but it's all connected. Uh, and, and we never get what we want. We never get what we need. And, and collectively, the population continues to basically be asleep in the sense that we don't get out there and demand what we need to get. Does that make sense? Totally, totally, Eric. And another thing I want to add too: what's really sad now is that it's not even just mainstream media that's touting this as like a big win. You also have people in left independent media that's touting this as a big win. And I have to tell you guys, I've said this before, this is why you cannot let professional managerial class control any type of movement. And I've seen it multiple times on Twitter. People have sent me clips. Look at all the people who are cheering this on. They're rich people. They're rich commentators who are millionaires. Of course, they're going to cheer it on. This don't affect them at all. At all. And no, that, that needs to change. And that's one of the reasons why those of us at RBN got into this space, because we got tired of these talking points from these people who are freaking millionaires who are not living the way that we're living. They didn't have to struggle the way that we did. And they're totally clueless. They don't get it. No, they so don't. We, have, we have to fight against that, too. We're not just fighting against mainstream media. We have to fight against people in left independent media who are now talking just like the people in mainstream media. Yeah. And, and that's I mean, that's the whole, you know, they basically the reason why this happens the way it does. The population does not hear the truth, the message that needs to get out. It, and that's why it holds over, meaning that uh, the majority of the population is not going to essentially do anything about it because in their mind, OK, this is what it should be. Right. Because this is what they hear. And, and since the narrative is that way. People go about their daily business and essentially don't even think about it twice. Uh, and it just continues. It just does not you know, go anywhere. And we don't have any leaders. Uh, we don't have anybody with any uh, sort of loud or big enough platforms that are speaking to what RBN is speaking to. And so then you don't get a message out there uh, that would essentially break through these patterns of thinking uh, where things are just okay. But I do think, you know, it's going to backfire. You know, I think you mentioned, uh, you know, there, there's there's a lot of people basically saying this is definitely not enough. I, I don't think it's going to be completely productive. They're doing this to pander to voters because of the, you know, the, the elections coming up. That's why they're doing it at this time. But I don't think it's enough to get them over to where they need to get to. Uh, but it, it'll it will definitely give them a boost because I think it's going to create enough in people's minds that they're going to say, oh, maybe we should vote for a Democrat because they did this. Uh, and, and all they need is just a little, a few people, to, you know, to do this and they get what they want, so to speak. Uh, and unless we get more RBNs, unless we get RBNs message heard by more people, this is going to continue. Uh, we need more people to hear the message. We need more people to be aware of what's happening to us, what's being done to us. Uh, it's not happening by coincidence. This has really, you know, been going on for, you know, at least probably 70, 80 years that they've been working on this and it will not end. You know, the, the, the capitalist system is designed for only a few uh, to govern the many at their expense. And it'll continue to be this way uh, unless something really breaks the wheel 
and changes something. I mean, changes, you know, what's happening. Uh, the unfortunate part is that I, I just don't know how we do it because it just seems like we're stuck right now in, in, in a in a place where we can't get the message louder, Savvy. You know, I, I don't know how to, you know, that's a question that I that I keep asking myself. Like, who, wh what do we need to do to make this apparent to everybody? I, I just don't know. Yeah, I know. Well, it's like, I mean, we're we're growing, but we're not reaching as many people as we would like to reach, you know, and and that's on purpose, you know, like we're heavily um, suppressed on YouTube, all independent media. Well, I wouldn't say all uh, more so uh, those of us that have the talking points that we have are heavily suppressed on YouTube. And there's a reason why, like, you won't see us on these people's shows. There's a reason why they won't bring us on because they don't want their audience to hear what we're hearing. Now, I do think some of that is changing because I have noticed that I can look at all my uh, YouTube analytics. I can see, like, who my viewers watch. And I have noticed that things have changed in reference to the shows that they're watching and what they were watching before. So I have noticed that there is some change, but yeah, it's, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, but thank you so much for calling in, Eric. Thank you, Savvy. And congratulations on the 20K uh, subs. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you. Okay, we're going to bring in Lance. You are the next caller. Just have to hit unmute. Hello, I got lost in the sauce for a second. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. Savvy the wonderful. You're great. I have to always tell you that. Um, yeah, this whole thing. <laughs> if I didn't know any better, I'd swear there was a Republican that snuck into the meat and the you know decision making on this because. But I know better, and the Democrats really are that stupid. It's not the first time that this argument, that this uh, means testing came up in discussion. Go back to, you know, FDR, Social Security. No, we're not going to means test it. Medicare, not means test it. It's like they, it's, it's like they didn't just do that by accident. They discussed it and said, no, no, no way. We don't want to have people divided. So we have the most divided country since probably the Civil War. Even the 60s, it was like issue-oriented. It wasn't one group hates another group. Uh, so in the height of polarization, let's do something that helps of such a minuscule amount of people, number one. So it doesn't even have the effect of really helping that many people that you're going to get a lot of votes out of it anyway. And let's divide people further, the rich and the poor especially, or the rich and the middle class, whatever's left. It's insane. They couldn't have done it any worse if they tried. And they did. But it's a Democrat, so what do you expect? You know? Mm, yeah, well said, Lance. No, I agree. It's just uh, what was interesting to me is where did this amount come from? Like who came up with why 10K and why only 10K? Well, they did 10K because they couldn't do 9K or 5K or zero. It was the bare minimum they could possibly come up. With. You know, mm -hmm. it was the lowest number that was bandied about. So they went with that. Um, now, the other thing is. Just briefly, really. Free tuition, right? Of course it should be free, you know, uh, because if you have free tuition, then you can bring back the arts and humanities. 
which by the way, was deliberately eliminated by like the Coke types. They're like, no, we don't want people to know how to think. I went to community college, which was uh, funded the same way. The professors got the same pay at State College in New York. So it's like going to, you know, two years of college. I had a year at Auburn. So I basically had three years of college education. But humanities, wow, it, it showed, taught me how to think, how everything ties together, right? I would take my, I would cheat and take a, a, a paper I did in psychology and use it in philosophy or vice versa because it was all connected. So I could kind of cheat that way, right? Teacher didn't, all right, all right. But they deliberately destroyed those things and they deliberately destroyed civics and art and music uh, in, in grade school and, and, and middle school and high school. Go to the test, go to the test. Because that's what we that's what we lose is uh, people that know how to think. And that's not it's not just, gee, kind of happened because this happened at budgetary. No, it was deliberate. Let's get corporations to go in there and do the TV shows and show people to be free market you know, capitalists and not to challenge authority and not to be a free thinker and not to read all these books. Hell, I wrote I read Johnny Got His Gun in seventh grade. But so. If we don't bring back the arts and humanities, it's my whole shtick every time, whether I'm involved in any anything political, do it with art, do it with music, do it with culture, because politics follows culture, not the other way around, you know. But so, you know, it, the whole thing, man, about way, the way we do college, it's uh, it's, it's all this Huxley. It's this, it's this gentle uh, kind of dom- domiciling. And I have to finish with this. Being a populist, it's a double-edged sword. I think people really do have more power. Not people should be given the power. I think people have the power. That means, like George Carlin said, look in the mirror, folks. This is what we got because we don't fight for it. I'm sorry. I do in my little life, you know, here and there, and I don't do a a fraction of what I should and could. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. But in my daily life, man, I'm out there trying to, you know, do whatever I can, you know, but and talking about it at every chance I get pissing people off. I don't care. You know, it was a long time between like the seventies and then that maybe now where it was like bars, right? Bars is where you talk stuff. That's where the constitution or the, the revolution, you know, fomented was in Francis tavern and all these taverns where they, they were, they were, they were let their guard down. They would talk stuff. And it's like, all of a sudden people clammed up. What are we so afraid of to talk? There's people that want to be rah, rah, talk politics like us, but the general public is just too afraid of their own shadow anymore. And it's crazy. I'll stop there. No, that's a really good point, Lance. That's a really good point that, I've watched them remove several programs from schools. I've watched them take away like woodshop programs, music programs, art programs. Now the big push has been math and science, these STEM programs that they want the students to do. Um, And not everyone is good at math and science. Like, let's just be real. But that's what they're pushing. Um, What they have been pushing for the past couple of years is they want everybody to go into those fields And I just feel like we're basically teaching them to be robots. And this is actually something I said when I quit. When I left Boston University, I told them, we are just teaching the students to go work for someone else. We're not teaching them to have any type of critical thinking. We're not teaching them to have any type of creativity. It's just all the machine now. That's all we're doing is teaching them how to go work for someone else. And it just got to the point where I told them, along with the the way that they treated the staff members there, that's another story. But I told them that, like, the creativity 
has pretty much left the university space. Yeah. It's yeah. just not there anymore. And you're just, again, I felt like we were just teaching them to be robotic and to learn, you learn all these equations, learn the science, do all this data analytics. That's all it is now. And anybody in those other fields at those universities, they struggle to try to find a job when they graduate from college or those fields are no longer looking for people like them because they're just like, well, um, everything's online now. So we don't need as many people to do this anymore. I mean, what happened to students going to college and being able to learn like photography and you know, like real journalism. I mean, real journalism, not what you see on CNN and MSNBC right. and Fox News. Like right. they don't even do that anymore. It's just so, it's it's so stale, and it it's that you whole don't hear idea. About that. Right, that whole yeah, yep. the whole yep. concept of going to college and discovering who you are. Over the years, I started to notice that isn't there anymore. And yeah, so it just, it says a lot of things. And I think that the university system, I've just watched it go downhill, like over the years. And I don't see anything changing anytime soon. Um, The education system overall is a mess. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's totally gone. If I can say this quick PS, because shop class, now I wasn't big into science class, but... Inside in shop, there was all these like a uh, pipe, you know, metal pipe, so we could make like pot pipes, and we could make ninja stars out of sheet metal. And in science class, where else are you going to get the stoppers and the beam and the uh, uh, you know the little pipettes and and test tubes to make bongs and water pipes with? Not to mention the occasional ohau scale to weigh herb with. I mean, come on, talk about resourcefulness. That's what school was about, right? <laughs> Just kidding, right? <laughs> That's a good point, Lance. Well, Lance, thank you so much for calling in. I'm going to go to Sinway. Okay, Sinway, you are the next caller. Hi, Sabby. Thanks for taking the call. Um, okay, when I saw 10,000K, and I brought this in the comments of with hard lens and a few times, it's like, that's 10,000? That is the amount... That's the amount in my bank account. Like, really? That's the best you're gonna give people? E- even when I did take into it, did not take into account my, in- didn't take into account the interest. It's like that is still pathetically small compared to everyone that's in debt. So, yeah, that's like right. this is a, it's a ripoff, complete ripoff. Um, and just. Um, I am at a point, and when you were talking about the whole education being, like, just poor and the fact that every, they want to be robots, I'm like, yeah, that does seem like it. It's like, I hear from people, it's like, why did you go for sociology? Yes, you can go into anything with a sociology degree, but good luck trying. Uh, it would be again, more ideal if you went into more specified field or s- specified skill. Probably hinting at I should have went with STEM. But but mm-hmm. it wasn't until you and the other RBN members said that one, the economy crashing in three to five years, there was no telling if those even those degrees are useful. And second, and even you guys and others have said that there are companies like 
tech companies, whatever, that will find ways to make sure those engineers, programmers, whatnot, are either, like, they're either contracts, temps, so they don't get the full benefits. So, yep. it's kind of like a similar situation to doctors. It's like, depending on what field in the medical field, in medical you go into, doesn't always guarantee a high pay. So, um, and I want to work my education because, um, I, I have, well, I'm kind of at a crossroads of finding out, like, what field do I truly want to stick to, for example? And how can my well, skill and talent in, or, in information gathering and attention detail can be used? And preferably, if I continue my education, I do want to be international. I just need to really find out what I want to do, so which it's kind of hard when I just feel trapped and don't know fully how to explore it, and I want it now, but it's like, it'll take time, but the state of this country in? Yeah. yeah. It's really tough. I, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of the, the, the colleagues that I have became career changers at some point, and that included myself. A lot of us did because we went into a field and then we went into a, re- a recession and that field was not profitable anymore. We weren't going to make money. So then we were told you need to look at the fields that are actually booming now. And people went back to school. People changed, you know, career paths and became career changers. And that's actually been becoming more and more common as the years have gone on. So here's the thing. None of us wanted to be career changers. It wasn't something that was done because we said, hey, I might want to do something different. No, it was done because we were forced to. And I think this, if if something doesn't change, that's going to become more and more of a regular thing. And that is not going to be healthy. And that's not going to be good for people or for the economy. Because for some of those, uh, some of those fields, you are going to have to go back to school and take out more student loan debt. And more companies nowadays are saying that they're not going to pay for you to go to grad school. And that wasn't the Yay. case years ago, you know? Great. Um, so wait, even international, well, maybe I should look into that. But um, what else was I going to say? Oh, uh, shoot. Yeah, there was something else I wanted to say about I think it's something to do with people becoming ro- oh yeah wait wait oh yes I remember now it's like I was my dad and some people told me about how people how employers are looking for people that are more what are they called it's like they categorize these skills from like hard skills and what soft skills or something like that it's like someone who's like skills that are like interchangeable for example like you can keep like soft skills. Opening door. Yeah, so it's in the category of soft skills, but it's like, well, they definitely emphasize soft skills, but it's like you're looking to learn and you're just adaptable or something like that. It's like I heard that's like employers prefer, really want people with those kinds of skills. 
Yeah, and... so they can basically move you around if they need to. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, great, really. Yeah, they basically mm -hmm. want someone who's going to be willing to do different tasks that are not necessarily a part of their degree or a part of their position, because at some point or another, they may need to move you around. And I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen in higher ed, too. I've seen them take right. people that had no finance experience and put them in finance departments and say, OK, you're going to start processing POs well, and things like that. Just because they have a degree or just because they're open to learn, what's the reasoning? Just because they needed someone in that spot. Not even paying close attention of, oh, does this guy have prior experience? Are you got to be kidding me. They don't Sheesh. care. Oh, they don't care. They they just they throw you in and they tell you to figure it out. They don't even train people like they used to anymore. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, and I put this in chat, like, uh, I don't. I think there was a just it was brought up. It, it was like, oh, you need a degree. So so let's say someone wants to be like a something in fashion, something or display. Or I think a better example would be like a guard. But apparently it's like if you need to be a guard, you have to have this much experience, education, administrative something, a degree or something or have experience like, OK, you could, seriously, you're not going to train. You're not going to even train the person on the floor it's like things like administrative based stuff is like you i whenever i look at administrative stuff it's like we prefer someone with a experience using this software or went to school for this software. you seriously you can't teach people on the job like this is stuff mm -mm. that you should be yet you would be able to ideally teach people or if i get used to and anyone could, ideally could pick up but nope Nope, they, they don't want to spend the money from their profits to train people. That costs, that costs money. Oh, yeah. I think even my mom, I don't know, because my mom used to train people, and I haven't been hearing her talk about those things. Uh, she kind of, actually, no, I take it back. She kind of does, but it's not as intensive compared to back in the day. I don't know if it's because of the comp different companies or so, but I don't know. It's my opinion. It just doesn't seem as more engaged because going back again, don't, don't want to come to the profits. Mm-hmm. So, no, it's just, all good points. Yeah, that's, it does suck. Um, yeah. Um, I... I don't know if I said this before or said another, like maybe our band. I don't personally, I don't see myself having a long term future in this country. Hence, why I brought up the idea of like um, studying abroad. And I wouldn't use that as a stepping stone and a networking to like, I don't know, establish myself in another country that, sure, if it's a capitalist, and it, but if they take care of their citizens and provide security great i'll i'll take it i don't care if it's like rich as the u.s likes to proclaim it does it means it means shit if the citizenry is not able to have access to that quality health care housing food yeah yeah well said thank you so much for calling in simway thanks for having me again night all right, then you are the next caller. Just have to 
hit unmute. Yeah. What's up? What's up? Um, yeah, I this this conversation's interesting. I've been listening to what people got to say about this, and honestly, at this point, um, I think university is pretty much a scam for post secondary education. It's just gotten to that. I think people just go because they kind of, I don't know, it's the thing to do or whatever. I think the, the, the dynamics of the economy have changed so much, but that's the side point. Uh, I guess the, 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 this $10,000, uh, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a slap in the face. I mean, if you have student loan debt, it's, it's, I, I know so many people that are saddled with it. It's really unfortunate. I mean, I have I, know, I have a friend who's 56. He just paid off his student loans last year. And this guy went to school at a time where it was a lot less expensive. And now it's even worse. I mean, they're just really predatory loans. Um, people, you know, I don't blame the people who really take them, to be honest. But the thing that fascinates me is just kind of the, it's not really fascinating. It actually makes sense is the outright celebration from so-called leftists about how this is such a great thing. And yeah, it could have been better, but shut up and don't complain and get in line and vote for the Democrats because, you know, this is the best thing they could have possibly done when it's it's honestly a slap in the face. And it's not surprising because these are the people who are pretty much, you know, the, you know, the PMC resume types, right? The people who gone to grad school at UCLA and or law school or whatever. And yeah, they have these student loans, but they, they got a lot of money. And yeah, 10K is cool. And the thing people don't realize is 13%, sorry, 13%. I think third of the population, I think, is saddled with student loans right now. I think it's about 13 or 14 percent. It's it's like it's yes, I agree. It's like a really important issue. But it's like there are so many things right now in this kind of societal decay that's going on. And to, to have this as like such a huge, quote unquote, victory. I mean, you talked about it, sadly. It's kind of wild to me, but. Yeah, I kind of ranted there. Yeah, it's crazy. And I just want people to understand, too, that, like, you know, I went to grad school. Lucy went to grad school. But I think the difference is, is that we know <laughs> we, we know what it's like to struggle. I think that's the difference. I, I saw someone said something in the chat earlier and they were saying that um, this is on the uh, on the YouTube show. And they were saying that. um only uh, middle middle class people have student loan debt. That's not true. In fact, I know plenty of people that have student loan debt that were not able to find those jobs, especially those of us that graduated during that time of the housing crisis. I know several people that have just been waiting tables for years that have been have taken jobs like bookkeeping jobs, anything that they could do to to pay their bills. Um, because they were never able to find a job like in that profession. In fact, 
one of them was on RBM with us. I did a panel, a millennial panel, and she said, she talked about how she was never able to find a professional job. And she worked in retail and she worked for restaurants and she said she's still struggling. And I think people need to hear from those people. And I think I might do another panel about that because like this assumption that everybody that has student loans is either middle class or upper middle class, that's bullshit. You have a lot of people that have student loans that are working class, people who are making under $40,000 a year. And I also want to mention teachers because teaching isn't even really considered a profession in the United States. I don't know if everyone realizes that it is in some other countries, but not in the U.S. And on top of that, you can go to states like North Carolina where you have teachers making $30,000 a year. Now, do they have student loan debt? Absolutely. Are they upper middle class? No. So teaching is a a perfect example. And I believe there's a teacher strike going on right now uh, in Columbus, Ohio. So this is why you see, see like teachers constantly going on strike because a lot of times they have to use their own salary to pay for their classroom supplies. So just because someone went to college doesn't necessarily mean that they are upper class or uh, middle class at best. But that's exactly right, because the people who are celebrating this are not those people, are not the you know working class people that have those. I don't think those people are celebrating this 10K. I mean, you tell me, I don't know. No, it's it's mainly wealthy people. And this is why I say it, I'm sorry, but I still look back on it and I say this again. Bernie Sanders really shouldn't have led that movement either. That movement should have never been led by a politician. It should have never been led by someone who was wealthy. That movement should have been led by someone who's working class or someone who was poor. Because look how easy it was for Bernie Sanders just to sell out at the end and say, okay, you guys just go vote for Joe Biden. We got to go with the Democratic Party. That's not no movement. Look how he just fold. This is why you can't have politicians lead a movement. And forget him. Look at the people who are running his campaign. That should tell you everything about Bernie Sanders. Exactly, exactly. Well, Vin, thank you so much for calling in. I'm going to go to Adrian. Adrian! Adrian! (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Sabby. How are you? Hey, how are you? I'm well. I have to say this. um, So... I, at one point in my life, was pursuing comedy. I paused because I'm like, ooh, I'm a professional. I don't want to really go up, like, you know, go big with this stuff. Um, And then end up in a professional setting and they're like, I was thinking about being canceled before even being canceled was a thing, like, years ago. I think this was in, like, 2013 or whatever. But I um, bring that up to say... (laughs) The first time I had ever heard the Adrian reference was when I was like doing some comedy work and it was stand up. And so like I get up there and they're like, hey, Adrian's going. And one of the previous comics was like, Adrian, and was like making fun of my name, or at least I thought he was. And so I then proceeded to like roast this comic. I mean, he looked like I was just some regular working class person who didn't have a you know, I just 
I wasn't a comedian super hard. I'm not Kevin Hart. I wasn't, you know, Dave Chappelle or anybody. I was just some regular person who was like, oh, okay, I'll try this. I'm pretty funny in real life. And so after he's like, Adrian, I didn't know that it was like a movie reference and it wasn't like I'm <laughs> trying to be funny. So I proceeded to roast him. Rocky! Like <laughs> yes. So I was like, oh, wow. Like, probably years later, I put it all together. And I was like, oh, that's a Rocky reference. He was I was just like, the guy kind of looked like Heavy D, and I was like, Heavy F and D, doing, doing comedy and holing walls. It's got to be bad out here in the streets. And like, from there, I just continued to go on and on. But, you know, this is my first call in on your show. I, um, I came in on the latter portion of it. It's so interesting. I hear a lot of like conversation about education that you all have been having. And I'm a teacher at the elementary level. And there's so much to unpack there, but when you all were talking about how like they have been pushing math and science, what what I have seen from my perspective down south is a lot of the what is being done in like elementary schools, if anybody cares, is like really focusing still on the reading and the math and then possibly get into um, writing if time permits, social studies and science. Now I'm in a different space now, and so there, there's still a push to integrate all these subjects. But what are the things that I do think is extremely important, and I think it connects back to politics in some ways, is I am, I've been working in my head on this piece of, that I'm writing, but I haven't put it on paper. So, you know, hopefully nobody steals the ideas. But one of the things that I see in education is this revolving door like you see in politics. And... I call it teaching in the age of resumeism, um, where instead of, so like in teaching, one of the things that you'll find is that like there are teachers, there's also instructional coaches and there are principals and other school leads that are, you know, in charge of running the school. And what I have found is that it seemed like every year they were rolling out something new. There was a, a new gimmick or activity that they were putting out there for teachers to have to learn, get training on, implement, and somebody coming and evaluate us. And it became so interesting um, when I would engage in like personal reflection, it's like I could never get to do my job effectively because I was constantly on a new system. And so I kind of like re recognize it. We, I think of it as, in terms of like neoliberalism, but like specifically drilling down to this, this um, term that I call resumeism, where it's not about doing stuff for us, like for the teachers. If I'm an instructional coach, it's, it's not about me helping you as a teacher get the support you need to be able to do your job effectively. It's more about me building my resume. And so I have to build a program, implement a program, evaluate a program, train teachers, observe teachers, and I do all of this to build my resume and then I move on to the next position. And then we get the same nonsense from the other person. Now, if it's good stuff, then okay, cool. But what I just found was it was such a frequent change that it wasn't really ever helpful because you're constantly learning new things. And so the, the political connection I make is that, you know, just like the revolving door in the swamp where people are going from public to private, and then back to public and then back to private. There is, in some similar ways, kind of this revolving door within some schools where, again, 
people are just kind of circulating in and out of these schools and really just saying that they're helping, but really it's essentially them building their resumes. Random share. <laughs> yeah, that's been happening a lot, actually. Yeah, um, yeah. A lot of people that they don't really want to, for anyone that's interested in, you know, getting into education and actually like working with the students, you really have to have a passion for that. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I hope anyone listening that's thinking about that is not coming in thinking you're going to make a lot of money because you won't. Um, <laughs> so yeah. you, you have to really have like that passion and that drive and what I've I've kind of seen this over the years as well is that you do have people that come in and they're just trying to vamp up their resume that's it like mm-hmm. they're just they want this title and they'll be able to oh this is another notch that I can put on my resume and then they'll just hop off and go somewhere else uh, it's not as common uh, nowadays I've noticed to actually have like people come in that really do want to create change and really want to actually help the students who really need help. In fact, a lot of the teachers that I shadowed uh, when I was doing my observations, they gave up on those students and they just kind of said they were actually told me to my face that those students were a lost cause and they decided Mm -hmm. just to focus on the ones that were going to be easier to teach, so to speak. And you can't be like that as an educator. You have to be, you have to have that passion. You have to have that drive and you have to realize it's not an easy job. And Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of people say, well, teachers get the summers off. Not necessarily. (laughs) (laughs) When I tell you, I, I, teachers earn those summers, y'all. When y'all hear, you know, people and listening in, no, I'm just some regular teacher. <laughs> don't don't mind me, but when people say that, you, feel free to push back because you really do earn those summers. I mean, I have spent days, I go into work at like 6.45 and I leave at 6.45. I didn't walk in and then turn around. I stayed 12 hours and there was still a mountain of activities to get done. And I've worked in a couple of different education spaces but this is something that seems to be apparent. Some pe- teachers just say, you know what? It's never getting done. So I still leave at 3.30 and well, I'll just try and make sure that, you know, I get whatever I get knocked out. But it's really bad. And to the point about like teachers for their materials, it's so interesting because I watched a couple of segments. Well, I regularly watch Rising and one of the co-hosts on there, Robbie, he'll just be like, oh, you all went to school. You've got all this debt, you know. You, sh- you should have chose to do something else or he may make statements like, I don't think that teachers should be required to have a bachelor's degree or have formal education in supporting children. And it's just like, or if you go to college, then you're making all this money. I remember um, at a previous school that I worked at, I bought, I had like multiple years bought all of my students their school supplies because it was just, they didn't come with everything that they need. And in order for me to have a strong classroom, I just needed to go to the store, literally buy a class set of composition notebooks, crayons, pencils, all of these things, and just have them in the class prepared and just ready to do instruction. And a lot of teachers are really using their own personal money in order to provide their students with with the basic materials they need. I mean, like, it's not even like we're asking for iPads for every 2021 or 2022 iPads for every single child. These are basic materials that many teachers have to buy. And what has been interesting for me, I'm in 
um, a big city in the South. But like when you go into rural spaces, it's a completely different ball game. I mean, things that people who live in urban areas take for granted, like Wi-Fi and internet, it might That's be, right. you know, trash, depending on, you know, your um, class status. Uh, but the further you go out from those urban cities, like I have heard of teachers who are like, we do not have Wi-Fi in the building or yep. the only the teachers have it and not the students. And then they're able to really build on what they have. But I just wanted to touch on the, um, what is it? I wanted to touch on the student loan debt. I have like, my immediate response to this was like, it's not enough. <laughs> like, it's just, it, this should be a lot more. But what I have come to realize is I was, um, listening to some of the conversation that you all were having and listening in on some of the conversation that Brianna Joy Gray was having on her call-in, as well as a couple other areas. And what I'm finding is that I have to be nimble and moving in and out of what lens I want to view a specific topic on. And so when I look at the topic of student loan debt, do I think that Joe Biden has saved the day? No. He could have done more. He has the authority to cancel. If you have ten, the authority to cancel $10,000 in student loan debt, as well as $20,000 in student loan debt for those who receive Pell Grants, then you have the authority to do 50000 And so this whole game about like, I haven't, I can't do this because I don't have the authority and it was, it's not within the constitution um, is a bunch of malarkey and, and, and is not true. And so what I have found myself trying to do a better job of is on the one hand, if I'm looking at this at student loan debt from a lens of he should be doing a lot more, he should just be doing a lot more. It's not enough. However, one of the things that I do think if I can get excited about something, I think it's promising that this is something that like this whole topic of canceling student loan debt has, even with the failures that the left has seen over the, the past several years, I believe that had there not been the work that we have been doing with Bernie 2016, Bernie 2020, where you know you agree with the strategy or or kind of the feel of that campaign compared to the 2016 one and other constant pushes that we have been, you know, the election of um, electing Joe Biden to the presidency, it just that was, I didn't think that he was going to do anything. But what I will take as a win is just this, it's not super strong, but this public pushback that the administration has had to respond to on multiple occasions. And so less than a year ago, I remember Secretary Cordoza, um, Cordona, excuse me, he was on the breakfast club and was like, wait, just wait on it. Just wait on it. We're going to be doing all of this stuff. Just wait on it. And um, Charlemagne was like, okay, you know, we'll see. But why haven't y'all done it yet? And this, 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 and that. And then they turned around and was like, oh, we're going to be starting student loan payments back up. There was all that chaos that was coming from regular, like, okay, hold up now. This is ridiculous. Why are we turning them back on? And they have pushed it back after back after back. Now, the, my my overall hope is that they would just cancel, push it back indefinitely, and then it's just cancel. But I want to be a little bit hopeful of the fact that in some ways the administration has been responsive to 
some of this public outcry and is also aware that this can these types of policies can actually sway people and being in favor like he did this because the midterms are coming up and he is trying to potentially win some votes but i'm curious to know what your thoughts on about like this this idea of accepting the loss of not getting it all canceled and even the ten thousand dollars being way too minimal we should be thinking very very big so taking that as a loss but also at the same time considering the more longer win of or of the administration in some capacity being responsive to the people do you have any thoughts on that I would say after everything that I've been through in my adult life financially Mm -hmm. and dealing with the politicians in this country, I refuse to settle for anything but the best. Mm -hmm. And some people may feel like that's asking for too much, but I think part of the problem is is that we haven't been asking for enough. I think that we have been so conditioned to receiving the bare minimum. Mm -hmm. And we have actually been trained, and I don't know if people realize this, they have trained us in this country to accept crumbs and to say, at least we got something. Mm -hmm. We've been trained to do that. And if you look at other countries, they don't, do that. If you you look at countries like Germany, you look at even like Sri Lanka, they knew mm-hmm. enough was enough. That's why they stormed the prime minister's house and kicked him out of his own house. So I think, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that we have to get out of this mindset where we should just be happy that we just got something. This is exactly mm-hmm. why the Democratic Party continues to win the African-American vote. Because we have told ourselves in the black community, well, the Democrats aren't really doing any that much for us, but uh, they did mention George Floyd. Well, the Democrats mm-hmm. aren't doing that much for us, but you know, they did like they kneeled and, and stuff like that. We've gotten so used to virtue, virtue signaling and accepting mm-hmm. that as something that we don't know how to ask for more. And I, mm-hmm. I recommend that people go back and they watch videos of MLK and they watch videos of Malcolm X and CJ is really good about playing these on RBN and you listen to mm-hmm. other civil rights activists and you realize we have really fallen fallen back because mm-hmm. what they were demanding and what we've chosen to accept it's kind of an embarrassment and I would really mm-hmm. wonder like if Malcolm X or MLK was alive today how would they feel that the black community, we just sat back and said, okay, we're going to embrace neoliberalism and we're just going to accept the fact that we got what we got. This is why we don't get ahead. This is why mm-hmm. we're stuck in the positions that we're stuck in because we have been conditioned and trained to just accept what they give us and not to ask for more. How dare we ask for more? So for mm-hmm. me, I am beside the point where I will just accept the little bit that they give us. I will always mm-hmm. continue to demand more and they will never get my vote again. And I've, I've been very vocal about that. I'm not voting for the two party system, period. And I that more uh, African-Americans need to follow that that mindset and get out of this duopoly and stop being conditioned and brainwashed to thinking that you have to give the Democratic Party your vote 
because they're not doing anything to help these communities. And I say that as someone who I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland, Mm -hmm. and I didn't really grow up there per se. I went to school there a couple months in the fifth grade, a couple months in the same uh, deployments. And what I can tell you is that every time I go back to Baltimore to visit my extended family, nothing has improved. They have the black communities there to suffer. There are buildings in Baltimore that have been demolished and they just let the people live there in the rubble. They don't even try to clean it up. That's how they care about you in this country. So I really encourage people, especially African-Americans, to stop sitting back and thinking that this is all you deserve because it is not. Now, there, there are more groups coming about Foundational Black Americans, uh, ADOS, they've been very vocal about this. And they've been very vocal about the fact that, no, we shouldn't vote for them unless they give us reparations. And to be honest with you, I think more Black people need to have that mindset. Mm-hmm. Like, what, They're not doing anything for us. And not even just for African Americans when it comes to working class people, when it comes to poor people, neither one of these parties help you out. They won't even say poor People. They won't even say people living in poverty. They leave it to working class and middle class. You know why? Because they don't care about poor people and they see anybody that's in poverty as it's your own fault. So we have to really stop. We have to push back on that. Mm-hmm. And I would really challenge any of these people that are leftists or so called progressives, and Bernie Sanders did this as well, who were telling us that we should just. At the end of the day, if we don't get what we want, we should just go along with the Democratic Party. I would challenge people to start pushing back on those politicians because it's it's not enough. You don't have to like them. You don't have to be your friend. They are a public servant. They're supposed to be working for us. And this is something that I talked to when I talked to Rokan. I let him know, yeah, this ain't enough. And he tried to use identity politics on me. He tried to tell me that. Well, I think having a black president after years of slavery, I couldn't believe he tried to use identity politics on a black woman. Like that really just threw me for a loop. So I had to let him know that Barack Obama chose to bail out Wall Street instead of the American people. That Barack Obama militarized the police in Ferguson. So just because you have a black face in a high place, that doesn't mean shit if he ain't really doing anything to help the people of the same community. So this this the mindset I want you to leave with, Adrian, is that don't ever get to the point in your life where you will just accept what they give you and not ask for more because you do deserve more. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, I'll just share this and, and we could you know get to the next person. But your point about the, the ask and the bar being so low that you just accept something. I think it's a really keen point that we should all be keeping our, our eyes on and really start thinking more critically about what the ask is. You know, when I talk to people who may not have the same ideological perspective as I have, they're like, oh, you're asking for too much. You're like, oh, why would you cancel all of the debt and this, this, this and that? Then have been trying a strategy of putting it in another context that the that other people understand. I would say something to the effect of, Listen, you know business, like a friend who might be an entrepreneur or whatever, you know business. Why would I come in and ask for a hat for, for a crumb when I want more? This is basic negotiation. 
when I come in, I'm going to ask over what my specific price is or specific amount so that when we get into this negotiation part about, oh, you can't pay that much. Well, I'm not going below this, this and that. We're meeting somewhere in the middle that's actually more reasonable. I think that's why, like, the point of the universal cancellation and canceling all the debts, you know, if Bernie Sanders were president, I could definitely see a world where all of that debt is canceled. Because again, he would have that authority as the executive in the White House. But I also could see a world where if it weren't um, canceled, like uh, all of it, then because the ask was so high, we wouldn't end up with such a lower number like $10,000 or even $20,000. If you're asking for something like we're going to cancel $150,000, that is a larger gap than that $10,000. And you find yourself meeting somewhere in the middle or closer to that $150,000 gap. So I think like continuing to pitch people and to talk to people about like increase your ass just like anywhere else. CEOs are not going to come in and be like, oh, you can pay me. You can pay me $90,000 a year. They're like, no, give me my, my $50 million uh, package and also give me the bonuses and the stock buybacks. I think we have to, we as working class people who are five or something really need to start feeling more comfortable saying, absolutely not. This is what the ask is. Take it or leave it. And if not, if you decide to leave it, you will not get the vote. I, I definitely agree. There should be a lot more earning of votes. It was just interesting to me during that 2020 election. It is a moment to really leverage your vote. We don't just hand out votes. Every community should be working, should be saying, you get my vote if. That's that's how politics works. That's how this whole thing works. And so it's just, it's interesting. But I, I think like, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to stay engaged in politics. It seems to be very, very draining and aggravating but um just again like i said being nimble and, and seeing like what is somewhat of a lukewarm win and what is the hard loss and how can after today's event happens what would be the next steps the most thoughtful next steps meaningful next steps for us to push the line even further that's right. Well said, Adrian. I'm going to bring in the next uh, caller, which is uh, Kamaria. See ya. See ya. Um, Kamaria, you are on the mic. Can you hear me? I can. Okay, thank you. So, yeah, I thought this conversation was really interesting, um, especially about STEM. So, I was one of those people that wasn't necessarily adept at like STEM, but I did it um, because I thought it would be like the best way to a better like middle class life, I guess. And the thing that you don't really realize when you join a STEM career is like the people that are there, generally like the history of those people are like white men who have like wives at home who can like stay at work for like 12 hours plus a day or something like that, you know, and don't really like can just be like utterly consumed with their work and I was like a single parent working like 12 hours so I basically never saw my kid and the way that taxes are in like California when I got a STEM job I didn't get paid that much because I was taxed a lot and it's so expensive in Southern California that 
I was still having to live in like one of the worst areas in Southern California in a house with like five other men well, with my child too, because that was the only thing I could afford because it was so expensive there. And it's like the type of job that I had, you, it says it in the contract, like you get paid maybe a decent amount starting, but you get so few raises for at least the first like five to six years that it's not even going to, um, you know, meet up with inflation or anything like that. So I just thought that, so I ended up losing my job during COVID and I've been like substitute teaching since. And it's like, so I, I've seen like both sides where it's like, I understand too, like teaching and education is so horrible because I do see a lot of these teachers who like the whole room is filled with things that they bought and they're so on edge, you know, when the children like break something or lose something because they have to pay for that. I think the budget they got for the year to like, you know, decorate and to like have supplies for their students was like $300. Mind you, like these classes have like 30 students in them. Like I have a, I'm, I work in a TK class that has like, this is four year olds that has like maybe 24 students. And it's supposed to be capped at 20, but they're just adding more students and not let, like not even giving the teachers any heads up. And so my partner and I are just like in this weird position because we were lucky enough that for our undergrad, we didn't have to pay for schooling. But if we want to like change careers or do anything besides substitute teaching, we have to go to grad school. And I have such a fear of debt that I'm just in this like situation where I don't want to move in any direction because I don't want to take on a de- another degree that's going to put me in like a lot of debt. And then I'm going to get out of that degree and still have having to apply for like entry level positions. I mean, there's people I know who are like having to get masters for like admin jobs. And it's like an admin job is a job that you can just learn like on the job like it's just so interesting to me and like if anything we should be like advocating for more apprentice type like models where you're working while you're in school and you're working already in that field and you have a job guaranteed in that field once you graduate already like that's the most optimal model because then you get experience and you know okay this is what I want to do and you've already built that. And it's not like an internship. It's an actual apprenticeship where you're getting paid. So those were my thoughts right now about the processes. I know a lot of people who have way more over, way than um, 10K in debt. Like I know that my sister, her undergrad, all she ever is able to pay off is not even the principal, just the interest. So the principal is still there. And every month she's just paying off the interest. So I just think it's really like, obviously it's it's nothing, which is what we're used to. And it's like, our rents are going up, everything is going up, gas is going up. And all they give you is like a measly like $10,000 when just the amount of inflation is probably going to make people spend like, I think something like an extra $5,000 this year compared to like the previous year. So what really is that $10,000? I just, yeah, those were my thoughts. Yeah, it's not really mentioned. I think, you know, some of the people really excited about this. I think when when all is said and done and they see the difference 
I think they're going to realize it's not as much as they think. And you had a good point too, when you mentioned, um, people having to have master's degrees for admin positions. I've noticed that too, that when I was at MIT, there were senior administrative assistant positions and they wanted you to have a graduate degree to make like freaking $20 an hour. It was ridiculous. Like just to be a senior administrative assistant, like these things are done on purpose and it's done to weed people out so that you don't get as many applicants, right? But then people have to get more education just to get a job that they could have gotten maybe 15, 20 years ago without even having a college degree. So this is the point that it's gotten to. And I think you brought up a good point also about STEM because that's true. I don't know if a lot of people realize that because I worked in the sciences, like the engineering departments at these universities. And it's true. These are fields that are mainly dominated by white men and there aren't many women in these fields, but they are always trying to recruit women and particularly people of color. And from my experience, what I've seen is that you get those, those students, those postdocs and the PhD students, they come in and then they just feel out of place because they realize that they're not accepted. They're not uh, valued the same way that the white men are. And a lot of times they're treated more harshly. So it's just, you're right. Those spaces really are for a certain type of person. And they're not going to say that, but that's that's the reality of it. And it's it's unfortunate. But thank you so much for calling in, Kamaria. Um, all right, Thomas, you already spoke. I'm going to go to Roger and I'm going to be wrapping up in about uh, 15 minutes. So, Roger, you're on the mic. You just got to unmute. Got to unmute. Oh, hey. How you doing? Are we there? Hi, Roger. Can you hear me? Hi, Roger. Hey, what's up, Sabby? Okay, one, daily reminder, 1534 Tremont Street. Uh, oops, I forgot to put that out. Second, um, I want to ask Lucy a question. If she's still there, she's still available. Lucy, are you still here? Lucy, are you still here? Let me see. Um, let me see. Um. Okay, I think I think I unmuted yeah, I her. Think, I think I unmuted her. But it still says she's muted, so I don't but know. It still says she's muted. Okay, so there she know. is. Okay, there she is. Oh? Yeah, uh, sorry, I guess I, I muted myself. Yeah, uh, sorry, I guess I, I muted myself. Um, are you in New York State? Yeah. Yeah. Are you upstate Long Island suburbs in New York City? New York City. Um, I just wanted to tell you, we're having, um, something in, oh man, I forgot, oh, on, um, Labor Day, where, um, Campaign for New York Health and, you know, NIPAN, we're going to be talking to the, um, to, like, before the Labor Day parade starts, um, the Labor Day parade starts at 11 a.m., so we're trying to get out there at 9 a.m. to talk to union members to get them on board for the New York Health Act. Because the, the well, first of all, have you heard of the New York Health Act? Um, I have heard of the New York Health um, Act. I have heard of the New York Health Act. But I am going to okay. this event that we're planning Camp Dada on Labor Day. Oh, that's happening Labor Day. Yeah, it, oh. I don't you know, Okay. I, 
Yeah, so like we tried to get more people to come out. We have like around 40 people now. And I do think the New York Health Act is important. I do think the New York Health Act is important. But I'm also, it's okay. just like this, I, also, this idea of doing things state by state. Okay. It's just kind of drives me crazy in a way. If that makes sense. Because okay. I, I, I just feel like we've designed right, so you, ourselves I, to I do things like state by state because that's the only way we can get it through. But there is a local organization. There is a local organization. In an area mm-hmm. that's, I, I'm in getting this like echo for some reason. I, I'm getting this like echo for some reason. Um, oh, uh, Roger, you'll need to mute while she's speaking. Roger, you'll need to mute while she. But um, yeah, there's an organization. Yeah, there's an organization area that asked me to sign something for New York Health Act, and I signed it, and I haven't done anything since then. But so, if you could send me the information, that would be that would be good. Okay, I'll, I'll figure out. How to, how to send it to you, whatever the case is. And, and Tremont Avenue is not that far from me. No, that that was for Sabrina. She knows what I'm talking about. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Never mind. Are you talking about East Tremont? No, you're not talking about that. Nah, I'm talking about an address in Boston. Oh, okay, <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I thought you were talking about Tremont Avenue in the Bronx. <laughs> nah, 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 nah. Um, but... Yeah, I, I also um so so yeah, yeah, that that's all I wanted to um mention to you about really. Um but the the other thing I was talking about um Sabby was um we have to after your interview with Dr. Fedhel Kaboob on your show um no one should be anyone who watched that interview should stop saying things like, is it fair my tax dollars have to pay for this or that? When he clearly said, your tax dollars, when it comes to the federal government, your tax dollars are not used to pay for this or that. Instead, Congress and the Treasury Secretary has the power to just create the money and appropriate it towards whatever it is that they need. Um, so we, I, I know it's like for the, for the past few decades, we, we got this thing, we got these politicians, federal politicians are telling us, you know, oh, you know, like, uh, your tax dollars are going to pay for this and where well, the tax is going to, you know, that's just a, a game for them to, to, uh, put a wall up for us to put our own wall up to say our tax dollars. Oh, and then we get into this fight about my tax dollars paying for this or that, or whatever the case is. When Grumbine and Kaboob had said, when it comes to the federal government, when they pay for things, they Congress just spends it into existence, or they issue out bank licenses, licenses to banks for them to create the money. So we have to get off of this thing of why should my tax dollars pay for reparations or student debt or whatever the case is, because it's not tax dollars. It's Congress or the Treasury Secretary just creates the money needed. You know, that's what they do with, with you know, all this other stuff um, that they pay for, you know. I mean, I don't remember them saying, oh, we got a, they never said where the tax dollars came from to pay for Ukraine. They just made us assume that it came from your taxes. 
that was money that they just created, okay? Because they have that right in the Constitution. Um, but as far as like, the only thing I could think of in in terms of uh, with with the um, with the with the student debt thing, we have to figure out that's like a short term solution because in you know in a few years we might be back where we started from. So that has to be a more long-term solution. You know, it's kind of like what you were talking today on your show about the hotels. Like, yeah, that's a temporary measure to end homelessness, but there has to be something more, which like you said, building homes. Um, just like, so comparing that with this, there has to be something more than just forgiving student debt, which is free college. Um, I think, like I said, the, I think the best way to do it, if you can push, you know, push a ballot initiative in your state um, to, you know, to, to allow for that. Um, same thing with, you know, like, I would say also um, push a ballot initiative for, uh, you know, uh, uh, part of the problem is that why we can't pay for these, you know, pay this debt down is because, the rent is too damn high and the paychecks are too damn low. Okay. So we could pass, you know, we, we sh I think everyone who lives in a ballot initiative state on, on, you know, unfortunately I don't um, push a ballot initiative to outlaw private equity from owning homes and residential apartment buildings. So we don't have to worry about rising rent rates. Um, push one to, you know, raise the minimum wage to $45 an hour, a government jobs guarantee for $50 an hour um, or $55 an hour. You know, you end up paying that, paying what you owe in student debt down real quick. My, Because the thing is, I'm just not convinced, you know, that the federal government is going to do anything. You see what I'm saying? So we have to take it into our hands to see what we can do um, state by state or look in locality by locality, you know, I'm, yeah. you know, like, I'm just convinced that they're just not going to do it. Now, if you want to try to, you know, like I support anybody that wants to, that wants to do everything um, that wants to do it federal wide, but most of my energy is to go, is to do it, you know, you know, through the States pretty much, you know what I'm saying? Um, the, I heard someone talking about, um, something about the banks before, um, earlier, or whatever the case is, you can have to push a ballot initiative or push your government to have a, a public bank, okay? And here's the thing. I, I mean, I don't know um, if I explained it before, whatever the case is, but to give a full explanation, 49 states, I know some people heard this already, but maybe some haven't, but 49 states, and what I'm about to say includes municipalities as well, okay? When I say states, I also mean municipalities. So 49 states send their state taxes to, uh, to Wall Street to get processed because they don't have the processing capability to, um, pro you know, their uh, credit unions and um, community banks don't have the processing capability to process their taxes so they so all 40, 49 states sends it to wall street wall street processes it and sends it back to the state capitals and all the municipalities and the state government has to and they 
charge a high interest rate processing fee. So now what happens is um, state government have to figure out how they're going to pay for it. So either one, they have to either raise taxes, two, they have to start um, uh, uh, cutting services, or three, they start privatizing everything to start selling it off. Now, the only state that doesn't do that is the Bank of North, is North Dakota, using the Public Bank of North Dakota. So just like what Kabuth had said before and, and Grumbine had said before, the federal government issues, uh, bank, issues banks licenses to create money because that's what banks do. They create money out of thin air. Your deposit, when you, you know, like you deposit your dollar, it marks it up, you know, just boom, just on pretty much on a sheet, just marks it up or now it's digitally, it marks it up and it lends it out to Savvy for $10. Okay, so it doesn't take my dollar and lend a dollar to you. It just marks it up. Okay, so that's what it does. So what happens is the, the um, North Dakota's taxes doesn't leave the state. It's deposited into the Bank of North Dakota. They mark it up and they, and they issue out lines of credit to, um, to finance infrastructure, which creates jobs in the public sector. Those jobs generate more state income taxes that's used to, to, uh, to get redeposited into the Bank of North Dakota. Okay, so that creates um, a surplus because that low interest rate that's charged goes to the state treasury department. You do that over and over and over again, you build up a surplus in your economy that is able to withstand national downturns. Okay, uh, North Dakota also, so a public bank acts as, you know, you know, you heard FDIC, uh, a uh, public bank is a SDIC. So the, instead of F, it's S for state. So it ensures, it competes with Wall Street banks, but it um, it ensures credit unions and community banks, okay? Um, California passed a public banking bill that allows their municipalities to start public banks. Um, they're working on a state one. I'm trying to work on a state one here, but also the same type of bill that they passed in California, because there's like in, in this thing called Public Bank NYC, they're trying to get a public bank for New York City. And, you know, so they're mainly pushing the New York public banking bill or whatever. So, um, so, oh, yeah, yeah. So, so because of that, that public bank has insulated North Dakota's economy from national downturn since June of 1919. Okay, they have more credit unions and public banks, um, credit unions and community banks per capita than any other state in the country. And none of them, none of them failed during the um, subprime mortgage crisis in 2008 because they don't play with derivatives. Okay, so the main part that it does, like when everyone was talking about the banks before and, you know, Sally Mae and hedge funds and so on and so forth, instead of breaking up the banks, it stops the flow of tax dollar money going there. So imagine if every single state in the country and, and, and every single municipality in the country had a public bank. That would devastate and plummet the financial might of Wall Street because that money, that's those tax dollars would no longer be propping Wall Street up because it's mostly tax dollars 
not even from the federal government, but from states and municipalities across the country that keep them propped up. If every state and every municipality had a public bank, okay, their power would seriously be diminished and their hold on Congress would seriously be diminished as well. You know, so- that's really interesting, yeah, that's Roger. It. Could you like uh-huh. give us more information about that later and about the New York Health Care Act? Sure. Um, how do I? Uh, I don't know. Um, you want to follow me on Twitter well, or something? <laughs> yeah, I'll just follow you. Okay. 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 So, so yeah, so yeah, that's how we. Uh, you know, what I'm saying that's 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 how we combat the. You know the. You know these guys and 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 you know like. I already got, like I said, I oh, um, Sabrina, I don't know if you saw that that amendment that I had written out. Um, I I had sent it to you that I had I written out an amendment that I'm trying to shop to state lawmakers to put before us to transform us into a ballot initiative state. Um, out of all the people who were running, the only one that really took to it was Kristen Gonzalez. These these other people who were, you know, like, you know, like saying that they was progressive and so on and so forth, which I'm pretty sure they are. But I'm the type of person, if you say to me, oh, you, you know, like, for instance, if someone says, uh, hey, I'm the best chess player in the world, like you keep saying that someone's going to step to you. And be like, okay, well then let me test you then. If you say I'm the best basketball player in the world, someone's gonna test you on it. You see what I'm saying? So if these when these guys are talking about, you know, just like how Sabrina, you just said we can't ask for uh, uh like a little bit and be happy. Um yeah, I, I never did. Especially if you tell me, if you're running for office and you tell me, no, I'm this, I'm that, I was like, oh really? Oh, okay, well then. Since you put it out there, this is what I want, you know, and out of, let me see, out of five who, out of five of those who were running for the state Senate, who I talked to, um, only one of them, Kristen Gonzalez, had, had was curious. You know, the other ones was just like, oh, they, you know, they started putting up barriers talking about, oh, well, well, uh, what about this and what about that? He was making all these excuses. Every one of them, I just knocked down, you know? And I'm talking about people who I knew before they were running. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, one guy one guy said to me, um, who I knew, he was just like, what about if, he said, what about if we were to say, okay, but in order for the ballot initiative to pass, it needs to be 60% instead of 50% plus. I was like, bro, when the legislature puts an initiative before us through referral for us to ratify their amendment, they don't require 60%. So don't give me none of that crap. It's not going to be 60% for for what we put on there and 50% for you. You know what I mean? And, you know, pretty much it's, it's, they don't want to give up their power. They don't want to have to, they don't want to have to share their power with the people. You see what I'm saying? So that's going to be the trick is to try to get them to share the power with us. And the only way I could think to do that is to grow um, cooperatives in this state to become 
a lobbying force that surpasses unions and corporations, or at least stay on par with corporations, so that we tell them, no, this is what we want. You know what I'm saying? Put that, put that uh, legislative initiative before us. You see what I'm saying? So it's just all about leveling and, and exercising power. You know what I mean? And knowing where yeah. the pressure points are. You know what I mean? So that all sounds great, Roger. <clears throat> these are these are really good points. Thank you so much for that. Um, is it is getting kind of late? And I do want to go ahead and get Sean, and then we're going to close out. I no doubt. Okay, Sean, you're on the mic. You just have to unmute. And guys, Sean will be the last caller. Sean, uh oh, we might have lost Sean. Maybe, maybe Sean fell. Sean might have fallen asleep. Maybe he can't. Oh. He's trying to unmute. Yeah, Sean, you just have to hit unmute at um. In the bottom left-hand corner. Oh, Roger, people are asking you for your Twitter handle in the chat. So if you could put that in the chat. No, Sean? Okay, maybe no, Sean. Yeah, the only thing with this app is I can't unmute people. I can mute people, but I can't unmute them. Alrighty, so, all right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, It is now like one o'clock in the morning, so we're definitely going to head out. But (laughs) thank you guys so much for hanging out. Lucy, thanks so much for joining as a speaker. All right, thank you so much, Savvy. Alrighty, guys. Mm